Hello Blenders, Jake Hamilton filling in for Sean O'Connell this week. We have a lot on this week's episode of Real Blend, including the SAG Awards and how it both solidified and shook up the Oscars at the same time. A lot of us disagree on Godzilla vs. Kong, but one thing we can agree on, it's awesome that the box office is back. And the Voyagers director Neil Berger joins us to talk about that weird moment where he had a magic movie come out the same time as The Prestige. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode 159 of Real Blend, a podcast that believes that Kill Bill is one film, Forrest Gump is a worthy Best Picture winner, and Lord of the Rings is one hell of an incredible trilogy of films. On this week's show, we have a lot to cover. The SAG Awards took place on Sunday, which both solidified and shook up the Oscar race a little bit. Godzilla vs. Kong opened to big numbers at the box office, a sign that that HBO Max deal may be working out well for everyone. And we are very excited to be joined by the director of the new film, Voyagers, Mr. Neil Berger. And when I say we, I mean me. Jake Hamilton, I am filling in for Sean O'Connell, who is somehow is old enough to have a son on college visits, so that's what he's doing this week, which blows my mind. Uh, Gabe Kovac is filling in this week. He's stepping in, and we're going to be hearing that 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 beautiful, beautiful timber a little bit more than we normally do. Gabe, how are you? I'm good. I'm kind of filling in for you. You're filling in for Sean. I'm filling in for you. It's like we're doing a little musical chairs. You are not nearly annoying enough to be filling in for, for my <laughs> spot. So, so, so the real question is, if you're filling in for me and there's no you, that means the third person here today, Mr. Kevin McCarthy, will receive no raps. Kevin, yeah. you get to talk as long as you want. Kevin, That's... Kevin's filling in for me. So you're recording oh, everything, no. right? You got right. this. You got the whole I'm text. I'm everything. <laughs> I, have, I have everything planned out, and I think Last Jedi is a masterpiece. So yes. Perfect. <laughs> this is perfect. Wouldn't it be alright like if Kevin, like actually, just like halfway through the show, just kept thinking, like, God, the show goes on way too long. We really need to just start wrapping all of this stuff up. Yeah, this is like one of those episodes of a sitcom where like they do a weird flashback and they're like, "What if everything was different? Yeah. What if everyone did a different role?" This is our episode. <laughs> Kevin, how you good doing? Good to buddy? see you guys. Uh, doing good. Doing good. Gabe, good to see you. Jake, good to see good you to guys see you, as well. Like, excited to talk about Ghostbusters because that that clip was pretty um, pretty weird. So we're gonna get into that in our in our topics of discussion. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I'm looking forward to our Godzilla vs Kong discussion as well because I know that yeah. Gabe saw it i know that we are kind of split as a show we are. on that film so i'm very interested to see kind of where we land 
Before we get to our weekly poll, which has to do with Godzilla vs. Kong, I will handle housekeeping duties to just let the folks at home know that if you're watching us, hello, thank you. Like, subscribe, turn on the notifications. If you're just listening to us and you want to see us, head to youtube.com slash Podcast and check us out. Um, of course, we're available wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us there. Um, and if you haven't yet signed up for Real Blend Premium, you get ad-free versions of the show, and you get a bonus segment every Monday morning at bit.ly slash Premium. Check us out any way you can. Uh, That's awesome. When it comes to, to, to the weekly poll this week, it's a question that was made all the more interesting by just how well Godzilla vs. Kong did at the box office. And we're going to touch on that a little bit later in the show. But before we get into that, the weekly poll question was how do you actually plan to watch Godzilla vs. Kong? The three options were in a theater, on HBO Max at home, or just if you want to be a party pooper, I'm not watching. Uh, Kevin, I'm going to let you guess, if only because Gabe created the graphic that goes in the show, in the show notes, <laughs> so he knows the answer already. Uh, what do you think uh, a majority of our listeners voted for? I mean, considering the show that we do, it's... It, it, it's- it's it's a weird answer because we're in the middle of a pandemic, so I have to adjust this for for the where we are. I would still assume, based on the numbers the movie made this weekend at the box office in its first five days, which we'll get into in our news, that our listeners said theaters. But I would not be surprised if it was split a little bit more on the other side because we are in a pandemic vaccines are rolling out so it's really kind of like one of those things where if this was a normal situation i would say theaters no question yeah i i would have agreed with you and especially after seeing the box office numbers from this past week and i would have thought that that would have solidified what you just said 50.5 percent said they were going to watch it on hbo max okay which still makes sense i mean at the end of the day yeah. it is a massive blockbuster that people don't have to leave their couch for uh, almost evenly split between in a theater and I'm not watching, which really is making me wonder who voted on this poll. Uh, <laughs> when you consider just how well the movie did, both domestically and internationally. Yeah. Uh, almost 26% of people said they were going to watch it in a theater, and uh, almost 24% of people said that they just weren't watching, period. Uh, who, who listens to this show and doesn't want to see God- <laughs> at least see Godzilla vs. Kong? Well, I, I mean, it, to give our audience... Some credit in that sense. The last three films, besides from Kong Skull Island, the right. rest of them have been pretty bad. Like, like I mean, in this, in the sense of like, you know, you know, Godzilla 2014 with Brian Cranston wasn't great. Uh, King of Monsters wasn't great. Kong Skull Island to me was a film that showed true promise, which is it's why, a great movie. I, you know, as I revisited this film, I do like how that's tied in in the beginning specifically, uh, and we'll get dive into that uh, later on because I rewatched it a second time and I have some different thoughts than I did initially. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm surprised. I don't know. I, I are are there people that are just really, really, really want to watch all the Godzilla movies? Like, are people like obsessed with it, like a uh, Star Wars, or um, or is it more I, of like a just a blockbuster film? It came out at the right time. It's a big action film. I mean, I was looking at some of the numbers. I don't know if we can dive into some of the numbers now if, in news if it's possible. But we're, we're, we're going to do that news, after the, yeah. the Neil okay. Berger. Interview. Well, then I'll then I'll, yeah. then I'll dive then I'll dive deeper into this discussion as we get yeah yeah. Later. I'll second I'll second you and say that I I don't blame people for kind of already being um, out on the whole MonsterVerse, Legendary MonsterVerse, after the last movie in particular. Yeah. Uh, I'll get into why I think you should watch this one when we discuss it later, but I do think that this is better than, than the last one. So if anyone listening 
thought they weren't going to watch it, but they're in the Which, mood for like a nice, fun action movie. I think you would. Yeah. You would Maybe that's it. why the HBO Max numbers are so high because people's sort of attitude toward the past few were, well, they're it's not, not sure great, it's be great. And so, like, yeah. I'm not going to rush out to go see it. We'll talk a little bit more about that because I think we have a wide range of opinions when it comes to uh, that movie. But first, we have a very special guest on the show. Um, Mr. Neil Berger, director who's directed really a wide range of different kinds of movies. Uh, his new movie, Voyagers, uh, hits theaters on Friday. Uh, I've been describing it maybe too simplistically so as kind of like a space Lord of the Flies. And there are a lot of elements to that, but it also seems like uh, Neil wants to expand beyond that that uh, that structure a little bit. Um Kevin, I thought that, I thought this was a good interview. We we don't always get to get all three guys, but it was nice that we had everybody uh, take part in this one. Yeah, the only thing I, I'm bummed I didn't bring up to him is Limitless because I really think I really dig that film, and I think that he, you know, and and you'll hear in the interview as you as we talk to him for Voyagers, we talk, we cover Diversion and you know and, and the Illusionist and uh, uh, the. Topic you asked a discussion. great question about what happens when two very similar movies come out at the same time, which is yeah. which I've always wanted. I've always wondered about, so I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, the deep impact Armageddon illusionist prestige uh, yeah. element. Uh, D- Dante's that, Peak like, volcano. Right. Yeah. There's always yeah. that weird. It always happens. Like usually very... every two, every what maybe once every five years. There were two Snow yeah. White movies that came out. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I love The Illusionist, but I also love The Prestige. So, yeah, uh, yeah, Neil Berger has a very interesting career. He also gives us an update, by the way, if we're going to ever get that fourth Divergent movie, which I'm I'm trying to figure out in Hollywood, has that ever happened before where they made a franchise and just didn't finish the last film? The the last I heard about it was because... It was sort of a, a diminishing returns on the sequels. Right. There were rumors that there was going to be a TV series, and yeah. that was going to make up. And then right. Shailene Woodley was very publicly against it. I think, like, I think even her quote was like, "I didn't sign up for a TV show whenever I signed on for this." Which is character. which is which is fair. entirely fair. Entirely, because a TV movie is a completely different budget and set sure. of circumstances to make a yeah. movie. Than, and also, like, are there movie. people out there like really clamoring for the fourth? Well, Divergent movie. I mean, I mean well, the, I'm sure we'll, now we'll, we will awaken this is the sleeping giant. But but yeah, are there yeah. really? Is there a crowd out there for it? Well, one let's see what Neil ne- Berger thinks. Yeah, Neil's going to bring it up. But one of the things I think he says that's interesting that people can listen for, and then we'll discuss it on the other side. Is he says he told the studio that I wanted one film mm-hmm. for the third book, not divided into two. But you'll hear why mm-hmm. he had to divide it into two in the interview, and that's what you call. A tease. And that's what you call a tease in the biz, children. All right, well, until we hit you on the other side, enjoy our conversation with director Neil Berger. Uh, I'm going to get us started. Um, obviously, the sort of when it comes to movies that are set in space, there's almost no limit to the different genres and the different examples you have to look at uh, over decades worth of filmmaking. As a filmmaker, when you're looking at, at, at you know a decades worth of film set in space, what are some aspects of filmmaking that you realize worked, and what are as- aspects of filmmaking you realize didn't work? Lessons that you learned on maybe what to do and what not to do. Well, I think that the the for this movie Voyagers, I was trying to make it feel. It's fiction, but trying to make it feel as realistic as possible and base it on reality, because I felt like the themes at the core of the core of the story about human nature were, you know, I was really interested in them and they were true um, and, and real. And so I wanted it to have a basis in reality. And so, I mean, in a way, you, you kind of go right to 2001, where it's it you feels utterly real, um, yet there's still 
kind of an element of spectacle to it. Other movies that are more, I don't know, where, where they're on some massive platform um, where it's not, they just sort of are out there for some reason, where they're more sort of fantasy-based is, 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 was sort of less interesting to me. And I sort of didn't, you know, I, you kind of look at those because you want to understand the tropes of the, of, of the form. And we obviously do deal with that in terms of the alien and, and, um, and aspects of like that. And, and you try not to, you know, or you want to use the things that work and not repeat the things that don't. So anyway, that's kind of what, you know, I'm trying to look at everything, but then the ones that I was interested in were, you know, the sort of reality-based ones. You know, Neil, Neil, your your filmography is so interesting to me because you, you've written and directed some of the films you've made, and then there's films you've just directed that you did not write. You know, the first movie you ever did, interview, interview with the Assassin, that was a movie you wrote and directed. Uh, you wrote and directed Voyagers, obviously, uh, The Illusionist. Um, so I'm just wondering for you, what is the difference in directing a film that you wrote versus a film you didn't write? And is there a, a different process? Because I would imagine writing the material gives you a closer sense to it, uh, obviously. Um, but I mean, when you read a script and, and direct it, you're going to feel close to it too. But what's the difference for you? Can you maybe give an example from a film you wrote? Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel close to all of them and they're all personal in a way, or I wouldn't, I wouldn't do them. Even a movie like Divergent, which is about a young woman or, you know, kind of growing into herself. It's like, it's interesting to me because you know, thematically, even though the movies are completely different, thematically, there's something that's interesting to me about, like, you know, are you are you d doomed to be, you know, one thing? Are you fated to be one thing? Or can you change? Can you, you know, can you be something else? And in terms of that movie, it's, you know, can she go from being this sort of country mouse into being something, you know, sort of this badass warrior? But, and that's obviously is kind of like this dystopic fantasy. Um, in, but even in an in interview with the assassin, it's the same thing. It's like both of these people kind of want to matter in the world. And so they are kind of crossing the line in different ways and, and in order to be somehow important in the world, in their own minds. Um, so, I mean, it's it, I, obviously the ones that I've written, I, I probably do feel like those are more my, my babies and they're more... You know, there was something, they were things that I was kind of ruminating on for a while and then made into something. So I suppose I'm closer to them. But it's interesting because there's, and I've talked about this before, there's kind of the, a tyranny of the original idea, meaning that like if you, you know, you saw that this scene has to take place in a church, you know, or something. And if you, and so, which is fine, and that's important you know, you go and you do that and it, maybe it works and maybe it doesn't work. But when you're, when you're reading a script, when you've been presented as, you know, somebody else's work, when you are really as a coming into a project in, as a director, which is a interpretive role by mm. definition, you yeah. have the ability to interpret it. So if on the page, it's like, well, this takes place in a church and you're like, actually it might be better in a warehouse or something <laughs> like that. And you might be right actually. And that the, the original author, or, you know, if I had written something was going to direct it, you know, it might be better to take it in that other direction. Or, or they come back and say, we can't get a church, Neil. Well, they, they can't, come back, you can't get a church. And then you're, you know, you're just going out of your mind. If you've, if you've written the thing and it must be a church, whereas if, you know, you come into it as a director and you're like, probably shouldn't even be a church, you know? I'm going to follow up on this real fast only because you brought up Divergent. Um, I know this is a question you've probably been asked a million times, but do you think we'll ever get in uh, the fourth film in some shape or form? I mean, I, I know you only did the first movie, but 
there are a lot of people out there, like my, my wife included, who were a big fan of that series. And it just like it's 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 crazy to me that it just stopped. I, and I was just what like, do you think we'll ever get a? a, a, a I, I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't. I mean, I suppose it's possible, but I don't think if you're asking me whether I think it's really going to happen, I don't. And it's it's a shame in a way, because, you know, it should have been there were three books and it should have been three. And mm. and I think and I Lionsgate is is distributing Voyagers and I love the people at Lionsgate. And it's actually sort of a different maybe a different group now. But at the time, I actually I think I said to them, it's just just do three. Don't don't <laughs> don't try to you know, they had split. Harry Potter split their final episode, you know, sort Twilight, of episode. Yeah, if you, Twilight, Twilight they all hunger, they all hunger split games. it into two for the end. And I was like, you know, I, it just, it didn't need to be, and it shouldn't have been. And they, and um, the, 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 I don't think the third one, which I, I guess I'm an executive producer on, but I wasn't really involved in, and it, it, it just didn't, didn't go well. And, and then they got left hanging with. Wow. with That's a, how you know you're a successful person in Hollywood when you can say, "I think I'm an executive producer." On that film. <laughs> I'm not really sure. <laughs> I know. Well, I know. I am on the second yeah. one. <laughs> on, the, on the third one, I, I, I can't remember. I'm actually yeah. looking out onto the set of uh, Diver. I'm, I'm in Chicago, and my view is Navy Pier. So I'm basically, yeah, right. I'm, I'm basically on the set of Divergent right now. Right, right. <laughs> um, Neil, I want you to be able to celebrate your actors for a bit because um, one of the most fun things that I got to enjoy watching Voyagers is how they evolve their performances um, very, very subtly and, and very, mm. very calculatedly in how they they have to go from like a situation where they know very little. And then as the truths are sort of removed from their eyes and the blinders are pulled back from their eyes, they can show more enthusiasm. They can show more um, uh instinctive type uh, reactions to things. Can you talk a bit about the conversations that you had with them to almost maybe like, don't give as much early on, you know, cause later on we're going to need you to be at a certain yeah, point. I mean, it was even more than that because it was, you know, I had a group of really 30, 20 year olds on set. That's what, who made up the crew. They were really supposed to be 18, but the, they, you know, the people that were the, the actors were, you know, everywhere from like 17 to 22 or something like that. So, mm. I, and I had 30 of them. And obviously there were 11 principals, you know, leading with Ty Sheridan and Finn Whitehead and Lily Rose Depp and Shantae Adams. But um, so the the trick there was like, what do you do with all that, you know, that nervous, youthful energy? That was really one of the big biggest challenges of, of just getting that out of them. And, under, and because the characters, as you point out, are supposed to be, they're sort of deadened and they're docile and they're, um, they haven't experienced anything. And they're, I sort of always use the example of, they're like horses that have never been let out of the stall. And if you take a horse that's never been out of, let out of the stall and you bring it into an open meadow and just let it go, it just stands there. Yeah. And so that's what, it doesn't run, it just stands there. And if it's the same with, with these kids, these young people, that they're just, they've just have never done anything. And so they are just, you know, their little, their inner metronome is clicking very slowly. So that was an incredible, we, we actually did these sort of group meditation things where we were sort of sessions just to kind of like take it all down. And it was just a very big thing about talking to them about if somebody speaks your name, you don't need to even like necessarily turn your head. It's like there was, there was no energy that needed to be expended to do anything except the, the bare minimum. Wow. Um, but it was a trick. It was a challenge doing it because they're all just, you know, their knees are tapping and they're, you know, just wanting to dance. And so, which was great for when they sort of burst free, but before it was a, it was interesting. And also, sorry, I'm just going on, but to keep them, to have them be dead and yet still get a glimmer of their personality. That was the mm. trick. 
not yeah. to have it be yeah. boring. So I really picked anyway. up on that. I really did pick up on that. Yeah, thank you. For their credit. Uh, Neil, I, I felt really smart after uh, watching this movie and that I made the connection to Lord of the Flies. And whenever someone makes a literary connection, I like I was like, oh, yeah, like because I read that in high school. And now I feel really smart. And then I brought it up. We spoke about it at the junket. And I felt really smart about like making the comparison to you at the junket only yeah. to then see everyone else's interviews and see that they also compared it to Lord of the Flies. Right. And, and so I, I guess like just from your perspective, you, you, you know, you're doing press all day and people are making the comparison to Lord of the Flies. And there are a lot of comparisons, but if you remember Lord of the Flies are also, as you pointed out to me in the junket, a lot of differences as well. Is there a part of you, like, especially during a junket as a filmmaker, that's like, okay, calm down. I also, I just wanted to make an entertaining movie. It doesn't, it's not necessarily, an, you know, a word for word adaptation of this like British classic novel. Like it's also like, it's just a fun space movie as well. Well, I mean, I like the, I hopefully it is a, you know, that it is a fun space movie that, that has a, you know, that's intense and riveting and cinematic and a, and a good ride. But I mean, I, I like those as a filmmaker, I'm interested in those ideas. I'm interested in those other aspects of it. So I like that people make, make that connection or, or draw that, that connection. Um, uh, so, I mean, I want to make, sometimes I feel like they're saying it kind of maybe in a dismissive way or something like that. Like, it's like, oh, well, you've just done this. You know, you've just, all you've done is just remade Lord of the Flies and, you know, in space. And, you know, the intention was not to do that. The intention was, you know, I think I, I can't remember if I spoke to you about it, but, you know, when I was writing, when I finished writing it, the sort of the first draft or maybe even partway through, I realized, oh, this is like, sort of evocative of, and, you know, of Lord of the Flies. And I could have run away from that. I mean, I actually made the conscious, I was like, hmm, should I, you know, bolt from that, you know, so I don't, you know, I'm not always being asked that question <laughs> or, or, or should, or should I lean into it? I decided to lean into it in a way, you know, that because I thought it was an interesting influence and reference and, and comparison. I don't actually feel garden. as bad about bringing it up at the time. No, no, I, I mean, I, yeah, no, I, I, not at all. Okay. I picked up on a lot of Garden of Eden um, references to it, you know, of like a, like biblical. Maybe it's just because Easter. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 and that, that's right too. Because I mean, they basically, you know, the, in in early draft, like I have, I, I, you know, I have like a whole, you know, novels worth of stuff for the earlier, you know, for the for the the for the prologue, you know, when they're, and it sort of was called, you know, informally among those people, like the God Project, in the sense that they were, you know, they were birthing these, these children or these humans and, and, you know, cultivating in them and completely um, constructing their, their whole world, their, their existence. And so, so it, it, you know, it is that of that, like, you know, the, the kind of the connection to home is some, some sort of, you know, there, that's like their God or something, you know, and they have this program, which is sort of, you know, you can say it's like the Bible or something. And, you know, so, yeah. You know, Neil, I find your, your, your history of filmmaking really interesting because you started off in music video elements and commercials. Um, I think you even, I was reading Ridley Scott Associates. You were even doing like commercials. I don't know if that's he has, he has a commercial film, commercial company. And I was, a, yeah. I was a director under, 
you know, I'm not under contract anymore, but maybe I were, I did, did commercials for them. So yeah. I, that's what I wanted to ask you, like what, what, what you remember about your time doing that and kind of how that applies now to the movies you're making today. And like, were you working directly with like Ridley Scott at that time? Like when, or like the music video element of it as well, because you look at a lot of very, very uh, successful filmmakers like David Fincher and people who come from television or commercials or, or music video backgrounds. And what does that give you as a filmmaker? And do you have any memories of that time? Don't, of yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it made me a, a filmmaker in the sense that that um, I, you know, you're working, um, you know, you, you're you're making these different things and you're working under all these different circumstances. You're working you know, it depends on what you're doing, but you're, I was doing, you know, commercials that had, they were like little scenes, but then you also, you inevitably end up doing like, you end up, well, I'm doing car commercials. So it's like, that's like a skill or you're doing, I'm in a helicopter shooting something or I'm against green screen and we're creating, we're using all this CGI. So it was an incredibly great film school. You have enough money to do it properly. You're also accountable for your, for your, for your work. Um, yet they want you to be an artist which is, you know, the people that are the advertising, you know, within, within reason. And, um, and, and, but most importantly, I, you got to, I got to work with great people. I could hire like Bob Richardson used to shoot commercials for me, Bob Richardson, you know, shut, you know, shut a whole <laughs> wow. handful Tarantino's of Tarantino's guy now and Paul <laughs> yeah, Thomas yeah. Anderson's guy. Wow. Yeah. And also like, you know, Fred Elms who used to shoot for David Lynch and, you know, shot blue velvet and um, a whole, there's other people and I'm just blanking on, on who they are, but you, you know, all the, all the time. Um, Fred Murphy, who shot the dead for John Houston and, and um, uh, um, you know, so that was amazing, you know, because then, because as a young person, you're, you know, you're I'm in my late twenties or something like that. And I'm like, I think the camera should go here and then it should go like this. And they're like, Oh, that's, I think that's a great idea. And you're like, you do. <laughs> you're like so happy to like get that affirmation from these guys who are, who are established or they're like, that's a great idea, but why don't we go on a longer lens and kind of come this way? And you're like, Oh, I get it. You know? So wow. it was, it was great. But with, you know, Ridley, Ridley owned the company and I, you know, maybe met Ridley, you know, not, not very many times. And Tony was still alive then. And um, so, uh, but they were great and very, um, you know, sort of nurturing. So, mm, but it's it, really it was, cool. Yeah. It was good. Richardson, man, I, I, that's so wild to hear yeah. that. Because do you think of like all the movies he shot? Wow, that's amazing. Well, the uh, and the other interesting thing is that Hank Corwin. I don't know if you know who Hank Corwin. He's an editor who who edited The Big Short and oh. um, uh, uh, other and, and I think he won an Academy Award for either JFK or Natural Born Killers. He so he was my he was my commercial editor. Oh my god! Wow. At the time, <laughs> awesome. he was you know, and you can see like you know he couldn't quite fit into the film business in a normal way, but those movies are really you know intense. Anyway, so it was great. Um, building you. off of that a little bit too, just in the people that you've been able to work with over the years, and I want to sort of celebrate what Colin Farrell does for this yeah. part. You know, you have outstanding character actors uh, and and people who you know have star qualities to them, um, but you've really taken them in different directions. Whether you go back to Bradley Cooper, you know, what you were able to do with him with Limitless and working with Giamatti and Edward Norton. Um, you know, what does someone like Colin Farrell bring to a production like this when you have so many young actors and he has such a body of work that you can lean on? Well, I mean, those those young actors are just in awe of him. And when mm. he, you know, for good reason, and when he comes on the set, he really brings like, you know, he sort of centers things you know i hope as a director i do that to a degree but at a certain point they get you know they've been around me for 
four weeks and they're tired of me. <laughs> you know, they're starting to, you know, take their advantage or whatever. But he comes in and he's like, and Colin is a very, you know, very strong person, a very um, um, uh, sort of, what's the right word? An empathetic and caring person. You know, he kind of, he's just, you know, the best actor, he's like kind of raw honesty, you know, and and just kind of wants to be, you know, real and honest and and deep, which sounds sort of silly, that deep part of it. But he he just wants to like take in life at its at its deepest level. And but he is truly an empathetic person, um, which is what he's why he's perfect um, in the role. And, you know, and he's a strong person and a really interesting person and smart and, you know, wants to talk and wants to engage and wants to kind of suck in life. And it's, you know, it's kind of it's powerful. Hmm. Uh, just to follow up real quick, did you did Bradley shadow you a lot on Limitless? Were you surprised he, to see him graduate into directors? I'm not because he didn't. You know, he wasn't shadowing, but he even that he was sort of he was like, why why are you doing this and why are you doing that and what would you ever move the camera through this? You know, through the doorway from the inside to the out. You know, it's always you know as if you were moving through a wall. And I'd say, no, I wouldn't do that. And this is why. And hmm. um, so he was interested. I didn't think it was going to happen. I don't know, maybe so quickly and certainly so, so dramatically, but he definitely, um, and I'm really proud of, proud, proud of him that he did, that he did it like that. But yeah, um, yeah. so he's really emerged as, you know, with a real vision. It's great. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, Neil, one of the really kind of interesting and also heartbreaking things of this movie is this idea of all of these kids doing a lot of work for something that they might not end up seeing the idea mm -hmm. that like they're doing all this work and making these sacrifices for their grandchildren and a lot of them could end up dying along the way in the journey and i'm sort of kind of wondering i sort of like to make a, a weird comparison to being a filmmaker and crafting a film and then sort of handing it off to the studio to do with it what like promote it how they mm -hmm. want or potentially maybe even edit it how they want or is there is there all is there ever a degree of like putting in a lot of work and then also kind of blindly, like, let's just see what happens because I, like, I might not even get to see the final product that I worked so hard for. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I, I don't really worry about, I suppose they could have edited it the way they want. I'd never had that happen to me. Um, and, and though I don't, I mean, I, some of the movies I've had final cut on, I don't think I technically had final cut, but it's sort of like final, you have final cut with, consultation or something like that. So, but even so you're right, they could. And in, in a way things happen that even on this movie, you know, you're testing the movie and there everybody's like, hmm, or, you know, it's, sometimes it goes great and other times it's, it's a little difficult and then you start making changes and then perhaps you regret them. So it's the same, the effect is the same as if somebody taking your movie, you might do it to yourself, but maybe you wouldn't have done it without, you know, this is whatever the, the pressure is or something, but, um, yeah, I mean, look, and they could really bungle the marketing and stuff like that, and it could just open badly. And I think they have really good marketing on this one. Um, the tra it doesn't give too much away. Have you ever seen like a trailer or a TV spot for one of your films and thought like, that's not the movie I made. That doesn't <laughs> that doesn't even remotely represent the movie I made. Well, I mean, I mean, you could say that. I mean, you know, this the, you know this is like pretty ex this is pretty extreme. You know what I mean? This, you've seen the trailer of this. Wow. You've seen the movie. They you know they have a slightly different tempo to them. Mm. Um, but I think it does represent the spirit of 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 the movie. Um, but no, I mean in general, I've had pretty good luck. Actually, I've had bad luck in the sense of like movies being delayed. But for whatever reason, like in this case, but but it wasn't really bad luck. It might be for the best. You know, we were supposed to come out of Thanksgiving. But it's interesting as far as that, like that idea of putting in the time or putting in, 
you know, planting the seed for something that you're never going to see grow. You know, it's like you plant a seed for a tree, you're going to be dead by the time it's, it's, you know, it's, it's worth sitting under yeah. or giving you shade. But, you know, it's the same kind of thing if, you know, if you're like a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old in World War II and it's like, what are you fighting for? You're not fighting for yourself. Maybe you are, but you're fighting, you know, you, went, you die on the battlefield and it's like, I mean, we're all like the, 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 the recipients of that sacrifice. Um, and it's incredible. And, you know, it's like to that, you know, that you can, that that person might have died feeling they were doing the right thing, you know, and that, 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 that it was worth it to them to live their short life in that way. And so it's, it's like, how do you, how does that work? And how do you ever sacrifice for somebody else or should you, or anyway, so it's all those, all those ideas about, about, um, you know, the common good versus, you know, raw individuality. You know, this is not an elevator pitch movie. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Kevin. I didn't mean to. <laughs> You're gonna pitch me what? No, this is not an elevator pitch movie in any way, shape, or form. You know, it asks no, so many big questions, yeah. and uh, that's what I admired so much about yeah. it. I'm sorry, Kevin. Thank you. No, no, no. no, no, no. no. I was going to say, Neil, I have to imagine you've been asked this question before, but I, this is kind of a two-part question. Uh, the first part of it is going to be this. So The Illusionist turns 15 this year, which is, yeah. you know, an incredible, incredible <laughs> film. Uh, we all love that movie. Um, but I, I, I want to know just the perspective of kind of like, because everyone knows that The Prestige also came out, I think, two months later. After, and I, yeah. I, after. And I have to imagine you've been asked this before, but how does that happen? Um, just in Hollywood in general, where you have two films centered around magic I mean, because they're different movies completely but I, I just wonder like for you from your perspective how does that happen like Armageddon and Deep Impact was another one I remember like where there are two similar types of films came out around the same time do you, what were, what were, how does that go down in terms of Hollywood? I think it I think it happens because there's something in the air for the filmmakers who who come up with those ideas and then there's something that in the air for like for from you know for the for the people that are willing to finance it so if you think that that like I read it's my story is based on a Stephen Milhauser story called Eisenheim, the illusionist. And I don't, re I can't really remember when that book came out, but it might've come out like in the late eighties or something like that. Or it's a short story in a, in a larger collection called in the Barnum museum. And, um, and I'd have to look and see when that came out, but I read that and I always kind of liked it. And then, and it was something that I always thought could be a movie. And after I did my first movie, it's interesting because Brian Koppelman, David Levine, who produced Interview with the Assassin, ended up producing The Illusionist as well. We were we were edit. It was like in two thousand and one, we were editing the Interview with the Assassin, and they had, they were working because they're writers. That, I don't know if you know who they are. Do you know who they are? They did like knock around guys. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so they um they were editing. No, they were being asked to write a Houdini movie. And they were like, what, how do we do this? Because with film, you can just always cut to the, you know, cut away and then you come <laughs> back to the box. And then she's, you know, she was cut in two and now she's whole again. It's like, who cares? And I was like, I know how to do that. I have a story that I can do that and better. So they were already working on something that had something to do with magic. And in 2001, and I, and then the other thing is, I think that the Harry Potter movies when was the first Harry Potter movie? 2001. 2001, I think. Yeah. I think, was, I think this I, year's the 20th anniversary. And so by the time I got my story written, so Christopher Nolan, he was interested in, in 
in that that project for whatever reasons, interested in probably a lot of different projects, as was I. But somehow, I think perhaps the money thinks that like, well, there's, it's not Harry, we weren't making Harry Potter, but somehow magic. There were a lot of other ones too. They were like, I think it's, um, it's not called Carter Beats the Devil because that sounds like something else. But there's, there was a number of other things and there's still ones coming out like the, the war magician I think is now being made or has been made. And that those were all percolating at that time. Oh, wow. So I, I don't know why really, but there was a, lot, a number of things being, um, you know, around even at the time where I thought like, Oh, I wasn't the prestige I was worrying about. It was something else, you know, mm-hmm. that was going to come out at the same time. Did you ever have a conversation with Christopher Nolan about just your, both your movies? Have you guys ever talked about prestige? And no. I mean, again, different movies, but just in a two month period, it just blows my mind. Cause like, it, it's just pretty wild that those two films came out. within. I've talked period. to Hugh Jackman, but Christopher Nolan, I haven't. No, I've never met Christopher Nolan. What did Jackman say anything specific about? No, the he was very or? nice. He was like, you know, that was, he thought it was funny and fun and, you know, so. Yeah. Cool. I, th- I was annoyed. But, oh, but, sure. you know. yeah. oh, I, I, not with Hugh Jackman. I was, it was too bad. I felt like I felt that sort of clogged the, the you know, the, uh, the, the conversation, but. Well, we love the illusion. I love the yeah. illusionist. Thank so. you. Uh, Neil, we're going to end it on, on one last question that we're going to let you go. Um, we're now obviously sort of, it feels like turning a corner in terms of, um, theatrical releases, you know, theaters here in Chicago were open, they're opening around the country. It seems like a lot of people were actually excited about the idea of going back to the movies again. I saw my, I had my first press screening on Monday for the first time in a long time. And in I'm a sort theater. Of curious, in a theater, which was, which was fantastic. Uh, this movie is going to be in theaters. Um, but I'm sort of curious, like, is it, is there ever a, like, grass is always greener? Like, this movie is going to be in theaters at a time where people are slowly percolating, going back out to the theaters. But is there any part of you that's like, well, damn, like, I kind of wish you were on, like, VOD as well. Like, or do you, did you just always want it in theaters? I, I mean, I always saw it as a theatrical movie and, and, um, and so did Lionsgate. And that was, you know, one of the reasons that we went with them. And they, they, um, and they've always felt like it was a theatrical movie. You know, they they had big ideas for it, you know, in that last Thanksgiving and they were sticking to them and they could have just put it out on, on VOD. But, but um, and, and I, you know, I really appreciate that because I feel like that theatrical experience is special. And even though people are, you know, so stuck on their devices these days, and I get it as, cause so am I, um, I think that there's something, I don't know, really human about that communal experience about laughing together in a theater or, you know, or being just tense on your, you know, gasping or, you know, um, so I, you know, I kind of crave that and I, and I, you know, wish that the movie gets seen that way. And so I feel very lucky and I'm glad that they're taking the the gamble on it. So, um, yeah. you know, at, at this time, so. And Lionsgate's one of the one of the few studios who's doing that, thankfully, because you have a lot of studios, again, Warner Brothers is day and date, and then you have some yeah. studios are doing like 17 days. That's, you got to commend Lionsgate. It's really cool they're doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I do. It's great. Yeah, good timing well, with more theaters opening up. Yeah. You know, I know. Yeah, how we're lucky. That. So, uh, Neil, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you joining the show. Yeah. And thank uh, you. continued success with the movie. We can't wait to send people to it. Thanks so much. Great oh. talking to you guys. Appreciate the questions. All right, of course. Thank you. Thanks, Neil. Thank you so much to director Neil Berger for joining us on Real Blend this week. And of course, thank you to Lionsgate for helping facilitate that and set it up for us. Uh, If you want to check out Voyagers, this is a phrase that we haven't said a lot lately, but we're saying it more and more often these days. You can see it only in theaters.
VOD, for now at least, is not an option. Uh, Kevin, going back to the, because I'm so glad you brought it up because it's such an interesting concept. The, the, the two movies that are very similar opening up within a few months of each other. Uh, I know you're big a big illusionist fan. I think I've only seen it one time in theaters. I remember liking it, but I also remember sort of being very heavily in the prestige camp that 100%. year. Uh, yeah. Where do you fall? Like, are, are, you, are you still a prestige guy? You just happen to like the illusionist? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, no question. Like, like if you go down to like the basic argument of these of, of two similar films, I'm an Armageddon guy versus a Deep Impact guy. Mm-hmm. I'm a Prestige guy versus an Illusionist guy. I guess I don't even remember Volcano and Dante's Peak as well enough to. Volcano, Volcano was Tommy Lee Jones. One. Dante's yeah. Peak was Pierce Brosnan. Well, I, I remember the movie. I just don't remember which. Yeah. I don't remember anything about them. Like, I don't. Remember I've only seen I Dante's liked. Peak. Peak. I think once, and it was like on TV. Yeah. I've seen yeah. Volcano. Like, I probably watched that movie like a hundred times when I was a kid. I remember. I cannot remember. I would say I remember the trailer because it was on a VH. I think it was on the VHS for Independence Day, and I had the VHS, yeah, so I right. played that on a loop. And it was a really cool like was teaser it a trailer. Bruckheimer movie. I mean, it, it, it feels it, especially if it was an action movie in the '90s. There's like an 85 percent chance it was a yeah. Bruckheimer movie. Dante's Peak sounds more Bruckheimer-y. The title, I don't True. know why, but but it, it's so weird because the other day I I uh, I, I watch a lot of physical discs uh so when i throw the discs in they still have trailers from the time the disc came out cool so i actually one of my favorite things nowadays uh speaking of what you were saying about independence day is i let those trailers play mm-hmm. at home even the, the movies that are five six seven years old if the disc is five six seven years old and like honestly like lauren and i were in the kitchen the other day and some of these old trailers were coming on for like films i you know older films i'm like man that looks really good then all of a sudden the title pops up i'm like oh i've already seen oh, that movie. i've seen that i've seen but that it was well, like, it's also a cool time capsule to kind of let yes. you know like what what people were anticipating yeah within six months of that movie that you're watching at yeah. the time so that's very I like, cool i don't know i like i, I liked i kind of liked um revisiting that feeling of a trailer yeah. and not knowing what it was but uh but yeah no i think at the end of the day i'm i'm probably more of a prestige guy uh because it's Nolan, but also I think Prestige had. I don't know. The Illusionist was pretty mind blowing too, though. They're both they're both very yeah. good movies. I just, I need to go back and see The Illusionist again. It's yeah, been a it few did. Years. It, that conversation yeah. did make me want to check it out. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, um, so talking points. Uh, a lot of things to talk about this week. I want to start out talking about the SAG Awards. And before we get into uh, the winners and the losers, and more importantly, its impact on the Oscars, I want to talk to you guys about uh, this whole, the, you know, because they were, they were the only ones that attempted to do pre-recorded, 100% Zoom, one-hour show, a tight one-hour show, uh, Gabe, I'm going to start with you. This made me excited about the fact that the Oscars have seemed to have figured it out, at least a way to do mostly in person, still live, because I don't know about you, but to me that, that pre-recorded one hour show was, was just, a, uh, it was a snooze fest, man. I don't like the pre-recorded Zoom stuff. It's kind of hard to watch. I say on a show recorded. Zoom. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but did you see? I think it was today. Um, I saw that the Oscars actually um, uh, people attending the Oscars and working the Oscars were going to get um, essential worker waivers. Mm-hmm. Saw that. For that. So that's kind of that's kind of a big deal, and it seems like a, a they're actually going to be able to pull it off. Yeah, I agree. I I much. In the same way where like Godzilla versus Kong is sort of halfway this this bellwether for a return, um, we don't want to go too fast. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Certainly, it feels like the Oscars might be able to be that for that side of the industry or for that sort of that moment that we have every year. If it feels like the Oscars at the end of this month, uh, I think that's just as a movie fan and as an Oscars fan, that's going to feel so good after. Unfortunately, <laughs> what we've had so far with these uh, socially distanced ones. And Kevin, don't you sort of like, aren't you kind of excited about like the prospect of, of the Oscars have been put in a position where they kind of have to shake things up a little bit. They're they're not at the Dolby Theater this year. They're in a completely yeah. different venue. I think the show's really going to look different. I think it's going to feel different. While this is likely going to be, and we've discussed this, probably the lowest rated Oscars ever. This is the most I've been excited about the actual show itself in a long time because I feel like going into it, I don't know what it's going to look like and I don't know what it's going to yeah. feel like. And I'm, I'm, I don't know. How are you feeling about the actual show itself aside from the nominees? I think I will say this. I mean, I, I think this award season has been strange. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the most excited I've been to see an Oscars show was the show with no host. Uh, uh, was that was that last year or two years ago, whatever uh, the year that was? Um, I think that was last year. It was, definitely, it was definitely last year. Yeah. yeah. And the reason I mentioned that is because that I was excited to see how the show, like, like you just said, how the show was going to play out and kind of how it was going to be. Um, I don't but know. But we missed a host. Didn't we all come out of that going, we miss a host? I, yep. I didn't. No, I did. I did. Uh, no, I actually kind of like the way it moved. I also don't think the Oscars need to be three hours, though, um, which is a whole <laughs> other fine. Yeah, that's a whole fair. other realm. I mean, if you want to bring a host in and make it two hours or, you know, whatever. Um, and listen, I, I'm interested in this award season. I, I, I get more interested as as we get more winners that are go against what we thought was going to win. Um, so, like, obviously, with with SAG, with Viola Davis winning, now I'm interested in the actress category. It's not it's not one it's not one and done. We don't know for sure. I think we all can agree Chadwick's going to win for actor completely. I think he deserves it 100. percent So that category, I'm good with. But right now, with picture, you know, trial winning SAG ensemble. 
that could be um, that seems like a safe bet for a movie that could win Best Picture with Nomadland kind of being the front runner, I believe. Still, um, the show itself, though, yeah, I mean, with the pre-record, it, it's never as energetic. It's never as it's not as not as fresh. It feels like you're watching something that was already done because you are watching something that was already done. So, I, I think with the Oscars, I'm excited to see how they do it. I I, I think that I think they'll put on a big show, like you said, Jake. I think we're kind of going more towards a quote-unquote normalcy uh, with the box office numbers and kind of getting back into things with the vaccines and everything like that. So that really is where I would be more interested in watching the show as to where we are now. And I think at the end of the day, mentally, if we see some type of normalcy in a show like that, I think it's just going to be good for people, generally, mentally speaking. Um, Because, you know, we're watching... When you see these Zoom interviews, and you know, I don't know if you guys watched Daniel Kaluuya host SNL over the weekend. I thought it was uh, um, it was probably one of the best SNL shows I've seen in a while. I just thought he did, was a great host, uh, and he was funny. He looked in the camera during his monologue and said, "I used to watch Keenan and Kel, and to be here is pretty amazing." Um, but he showed his Golden Globes clip where they they went to him as the winner, and then his mic was cut off, and then Laura Dern goes on camera, and they go back to him, and like the, it it was just a reminder of you know where we are right now and not not that we're not getting reminders every day in the news with with more serious situations clearly um but i think if we see the oscars in some type of quote-unquote normal way um i think mentally it's just good for people to see things like that um well i want to ask you guys about really quickly just about the what what sag did for the oscar race moving forward um to your point kevin you touched on the fact that i think it solidified a lot of races i think chadwick boseman Best Actor, I think Daniel Kaluuya, Best Supporting Actor. But it also uh, made a lot of races very complicated and very difficult to predict. Most notably, I think, uh, actress and supporting actors. Um, Viola Davis kind of getting her first major win late in in the awards season uh, makes Best Actress kind of seem up in the air because you could make the argument that, honestly, of the five, four of them have a shot. I would say Vanessa Kirby's kind of on the outlier where she really hasn't won anything up to this point, but you got Carrie Mulligan having won Critics' Choice. You've got uh, you got uh, Francis having won something. I want to say she won the yeah. Globe. Andrew Day won the Globe. Oh, that's right. Um, Did Francis uh, would, win like a like a? I want to say Francis. Yeah, or, uh, yeah. Well, BAFTA uh, hasn't happened yet, so I think BAFTA's coming up. But but then you've got then you've got Viola Davis uh, winning SAG. So where do you guys stand on on who if there is a front runner in the Best Actress category? Who do you guys think it is? I, st- <sighs> I think I, don't know, I think that's now. I yeah. I think the only thing that we know is I think Chadwick is a lock. Mm-hmm. Um, and I that just is what it is. I think the Kaluuya win. Makes him a front. Does that he's make locked. him a front? Yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't lost won, yet. He's won a lot. Yeah. 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 The only so argument lo- you could make is that he's going against Lakeith at the Oscars, which he hasn't had to do. That, and, yeah, but I don't, I don't think Lakeith has enough support behind him because the, the, the universal, in my opinion, the universal opinion is that, that that's, that's Kaluuya's movie. But Lakeith is also, I mean, no, I, I, I like that film a lot. I, his performance isn't They're as strong great as Kaluuya's. Agreed. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine anyone saying, well, I'm going to give it to Lakeith over, over Daniel. No, and Lakeith's great. A great actor. I think he's phenomenal. Yeah, um, yeah. But Kaluuya, to me, as I look back on that film from an energy standpoint, just the yeah. way he commands the screen and the presence in the screen. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting with the actress category, there's really no, I, I, there, I would I be interested to know to like tell. who like Gold Derby says is the front runner because basically it's like, Okay, so you got Andre Day, uh, Globe. Then you got Viola Davis, 
uh, SAG award, right? And then who who else are we thinking about here? See, I, I, I'm I'm genuinely hopeful that Carrie Mulligan will still swing in yeah. and win. That that I, that's who right I now, really want uh, to see win. Let's see. Let's let's go, let's go to what does oops. Gold Derby say? Gold Derby. Listen, I'm going to predictions right now. I wonder who their front runner is. I'm going to say it's probably. I'm going to say it's probably uh, maybe Vi- I bet you Viola Davis has become number one on their list because I think of the that's SAG a big win. it's a big boon. Yeah, for sure. Because because remember, for people who are listening, we all know this, but the the acting category of the Oscars is the biggest voting category, the mo- most number of people voting and actors vote for SAG Awards. So it's always interesting that that math seems to make sense when you think about it. Okay, all right. So if that actress won a SAG Award, that would mean she's probably going to get all the same votes she got for the Oscars. And it doesn't really ever turn out to be that way sometimes, unless there's like a clear front runner throughout the whole Oscar season. So Gold Derby still has Carrie Mulligan in first oh. place at seven to two odds, but okay. not too far behind with four to one odds is Viola Davis, who has definitely jumped up in the race. Uh, Andrew Day, also uh, in third place, but with also with four to one odds. And then uh, Francis in fourth place, and then uh, Vanessa Kirby in fifth. Um, when are so the... But uh, in terms of the SAG changing Gold Derby's prediction, uh, uh, the, the, the actress from Minari is now in first place in their predictions for Best Supporting Actress. And they, really? that was a big, that was a shocking win with yeah. Maria Bakalova falling to second place because it seems to be between those two i will say i I love minari a lot game sorry i I love minari a lot and i think that performance to me and and listen i think i think bakalova in my opinion deserves the academy award i would give it to her in a heartbeat i just don't think we're ready to give the oscars quote-unquote are ready to give a comedy performance like that a, a win i mean you'll nominate melissa mccarthy for bridesmaids you're not going to give it to her, though. Um, yeah. And I genuinely believe that they can't, uh, you know, it's just my personal opinion. They can't see past the absurdity of a movie like Borat. They'll nominate her. She was, she, you know, she had a stellar performance. I think she deserves to win out of that group. No question. Now, if we're think, speaking real, realistically here, the performance in Minari, and I, and I don't want to mess up her name, so I'm not going to try. Um, uh, but uh, uh, she's amazing in Minari. Mm-hmm. Um, she plays the grandmother. The entire relationship between the grandmother and the grandson was the is my opinion the best part of that film um you know every performance in that movie is amazing but i think that the actress who plays the grandmother who's been acting for decades by the way mm-hmm. i'll give it a try just to give her credit i believe it's yun yu jung i yeah. could be yun yu jung i see i would rather have it pronounced correctly than not, not than pronounce it wrong so thank okay, you let, let me ask that. you guys are is there a part of you that's a little surprised considering how often we talk about how much the Academy loves giving career Oscars. Career. That uh-huh. that Glenn Close isn't more of a part of the conversation. Like the fact but that she was so kind of a joke. wasn't good though. Yeah, but that how often kind of do joke. people win for movies that aren't good? Has it? Didn't she get nominated for a Razzie? Right. She got nominated for a Razzie and for an Oscar for the same film. I, okay, I, I, but how I, many? Oh, okay, here's what I'll say. Hillbilly Elegy is not a good film. Oscar who was nominated for a Razzie? It's happened before. It's been been a while. Here's what, okay, here's here's my my little defense of that. Hillbilly Elegy is, in my opinion, is not a good film. It's 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 not not. that bad, But it's not that bad. But Glenn Close is very good in it. Yes. Like, like, no one can knock her performance, which is why I think the whole Razzie thing is a little ridiculous because I would challenge the Razzie voters that they're voting on the movie not on glenn close's performance you cannot look at that performance and tell me that performance is bad 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, yeah, I, I, listen, I think Hillbilly, I do think Hillbilly Elegy was given a worse rap than it was. It wasn't, it wasn't great. It, you know, Ron Howard, Amy Adams, you know, Glenn Close, you would expect a masterpiece or level of that yeah. from those, from that filmmaker. I, I think it's just actors. because it's so clearly had Oscar aspirations. If yeah. it had just been a casual movie that had come out in March, I don't think people would have ragged on it as much, but it yeah. was, it was primed to be a premier yeah. Oscar contender. Um, yeah, right. I just, yeah, but, I think, but I, I do think Glenn Close is, is very good in that movie and, but I don't think she's going to win because the movie just, I don't think was well received enough. Um, I believe that the Minari uh, actress, um, which is not something I feel like we would have said uh, five days ago. Um, yeah. All right. We're going to move on to something that I really did not expect us to be talking about today, but a new Ghostbusters clip uh, has been released and uh, brought to you by Baskin Robbins. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of elements there uh, were uh, worthy of, of talking about that. I was not expecting uh, the biggest of which so, is that what everyone's is just, it's just a little, it's a bunch of little tiny stay yeah. puffed marshmallow men. Of course, a throwback to the original film. Um, mm. My, you know, I, I texted you guys this earlier. My complaint is that it felt like there was a a focus group, and there mm-hmm. was a, gr- a group of people sitting around a board table uh, at Sony, basically saying, "Okay, here's here are all the things that that focus groups love. Here are what people love." Yeah. And and basically, I feel like someone raised their hand and said, "We need something tiny and cute. We need." The, the Ghostbusters equivalent of a baby Yoda. And that's, sure. to me, what this clip felt like, is a, a focus group saying, we want something tiny and cute that we can make toys out of. Which but is why it, it didn't... It is cute. Yeah, I, I, don't know. I don't know how cute it was to watch them burning themselves. That's I, funny. I, I, apparently, I, I really could not see it, but apparently funny. there's a Terminator 2 reference in there. Apparently one of them holds his little thumb up. Yeah, that's he's great. Got, no, that's fun. fun. It was fun. It didn't, it didn't bother. I didn't, I didn't dislike it. It just felt yeah. like, oh, this is you guys trying to do Baby Yoda. Here's hey, my before old... you, are you, go are you going to, are you going to uh, reference Ant-Man in your, in your, in your defense? No, well, okay. I, I, I was going to bring it up at some point okay, where okay, I think okay. the Baskin Robin things is now a joke with Paul Rudd specifically. Because uh, didn't he didn't he do a Baskin Robin things in another? I, okay, movie? It, if it, it happens it, a man. third time, it, then it beca- then it becomes a joke. But the, the second time. time, just feel, wait. What is the third time? It, I saw it, someone it, say that it was the third. Because well, I don't know what the man, second reference was. Yes, in he, man, works he gets at, out of prison. Right, he works at Baskin, Baskin Robbins. Gets fired for being there. Now that makes sense. That product placement makes sense. Uh, hang on. Well, hang on. Before we get there, before we get there, what I was going to say is we are discussing this like this is a scene from the movie where Paul Rudd's character hops off the adventure and goes to get some Baskin Robbins at the grocery store, and this is what it looks like. Right. I'm not certain that this is a clip from the movie, and it's they call it a character reveal and not just a literal ad that they got a Baskin Robbins sponsorship to pay for. The production of you would have to say that in the in the tweet though you'd have to say if it was an ad i believe what that well no an I, ad I, for I, the movie an ad for the movie not a baskin oh, robbins oh. ad like they, they call it a character reveal i think it's just a bit that they put together so you don't think it's actually going to be a part of the movie there's it i don't know how they could put the context of that to make yeah. it feel right i i didn't have enough time because it came up right before we started recording um i wanted to do a side by side of him in the trailer and him in that video and i'm pretty sure he doesn't have any gray in his beard like i think they just well, like that could have just been a newly this. filmed okay i think it's a newly filmed yes it's done with a focus group but i think it's just an ad for the movie yeah to reveal the character i don't think it's a clip from the movie it didn't feel it had score yeah but it just looked like a commercial yeah. it didn't 
feel like I just, a movie clip. If it is, that's going to be weird. But I don't, don't mean to be per- persnickety, but I, I, I'm sorry. When you show up to a grocery store and you're looking through the glass, uh-huh. it is not all Braskin Robbins in one exact section the way... It, I mean, it, to me, and again, I'm not trying right. to be that guy. But I think it's but shot it was, like a commercial, is my point. glaringly. But I think it's shot like a commercial. If you saw that in a movie, yes, but I think it's shot like a commercial. When you watch a commercial for yeah. X... All the products fair. fill every shelf, and you're like, oh, okay, this is just, I'm watching a commercial for such and such. I'm, I'm not saying it's an ad for Baskin-Robbins. In my head, this is, this is my theory. This will probably be figured out by the time we post this. When I saw this, what I figured happened is this is a clip that they made to promote this little character. They reached out to Baskin-Robbins. Maybe they really did make it a joke with Paul Rudd because this is a third Baskin-Robbins reference. And they said, hey, give us money to feature Baskin-Robbins, and we'll, we can pay for this ad. Like, I, that to me, that's... That's all it was. And I, was I like, mean, oh, don't, or shouldn't they get money from, like, Stay Puffed? Maybe, I guess. Is that a real brand? I don't, I, I, I always assumed it was. Wait, hey, okay, so if Stay Puffed is not a real, because I don't, no, I'm not, I'm not it a big, can't be, right? Is it not? Pay, brand. Is it? Yeah, I think that's, who would pay for, like, hey, yeah, have our product become giant and destroy Honestly, <laughs> I, I'm going to, up until this moment in my life, I honestly assumed I Stay Puffed so. was, uh, was an actual. And also, i got to be honest, of all the times uh, I've ever, like, bought marshmallows. Like Jiffy Pop and Scream? I don't think I've ever, like, thought about what brand of marshmallows I'm getting. Because I, I, no I don't idea. buy them that yeah. often. Yes. But I honestly, like, th- this is genuine, actual, life-altering news for me if Stay Puffed is not an actual marshmallow brand. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. I, Continue I, your, I, your thoughts. I don't think it is. Um, I had a problem with them burning themselves like that that, that was a, that, that, oh, i don't know what i like marshmallows with, i watched it with lauren i didn't know because they're cute and like and like and they had they had yeah did you watch sausage party this but this is not sausage party sausage party is an r-rated movie about sex with food products like this yeah, is it's a, supposed a to be movie. it's supposed to be horror adjacent yeah they're like kind of like gremlins kind of like gremlins yeah. no, nothing in the first ghostbusters dove around that path Tell me so, something so, around so, the... so you're so you're talking about like the size of the Stay Pumped to Marshmallow Man changes no. your thoughts because like because you, you would have a problem with like like bad things happening to giant. I think it's taking it way too seriously. Man. No, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to take it seriously. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to let you know emotionally how I felt when I watched it. Ghostbusters is one of my favorite movies of all time. When they're fighting the Stay Puft Marshmallow in the first Ghostbusters, that thing is like. The, t- the size of the Empire State Building. It's like right. crushing cars. And his, and and his facial people. expressions are angry as opposed angry. to the ones and this are cute and cuddly and they got right. little high-pitched squeals. And... I thought that I was have, fun. But it didn't I, seem I, like, okay, it didn't I, seem I, like they were in pain no, when they were joke. burning they were because they're marshmallows. Yeah, like it didn't oh, seem, yeah. like I feel like, I feel like you're, you're um, I, I, I appreciate your sympathy for the tiny little <sighs> marshmallow men, but it, like, it didn't seem like it was hurting them. No, yeah, I, I felt I like know. I was watching. Oh no, no, no. I don't. I'm not saying they were screaming for their lives. <laughs> I just felt really awkward watching them be roasted. Like, I, think like, it's I, mean, I love that tone. I, I personally love that tone. I'm yeah, all. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm, I'm more with I, that, that, with that joke. With that particular joke, I'm more. My concern is more of the. Oh, is that like. It just like oh like it's a cute little ghost like is that is that gonna be the thing for the next 10 years where like every franchise has to have a cute little something that we all go all yes. over yes yeah but merchandising has always been a thing but as consumers they had they just before they had um what's his name the green one yeah uh slime slime yeah slime? but yes. but slime. he wasn't cute oh, and cuddly it no but he was the merchandise <laughs> this is they need a new merchant like that's always been 
they're covering they're they're trying to make as much money yeah. as possible. That's it's like what, like, what is, what movies, is the what toy is. gonna be? I guess I don't. Yeah, I guess yeah. You, all right. That's all right. always gonna be a question. All right, let's move Real on. Quick, uh, cause, yes. Before we move on, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is a fictional brand. Oh, I'm, my, oh my mind is blown. My yeah. mind is. I, I feel stupid because I feel like people are gonna come out of this show and be like, Jake, how the hell did you not know that? I'm sorry. I, I just I assumed that was a real brand of marshmallows. Yeah, honestly, if you were to ask me. Like name one brand of marshmallow. I would. The only one <laughs> I can puffed. tell you is Stay Puffed. Hmm. I honestly, oh, I'm, I feel so stupid, and I apologize. That's probably the one I would think about first, but I, I don't yeah. think I knew. But I don't like, think. I don't, a... I don't think. Yeah, I don't think I knew. I don't think I thought it was real, but I also my life is a lie. It also wouldn't have surprised me if it was real. But I mean, that would have been pretty insane product placement yeah. if Stay Puffed like actually had a character named I just after it. Like missed that. opportunity. Yeah. 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 Wow. Apparently, right. it's a mixture of the Pillsbury Doughboy and the Michelin Tire Man, which totally makes sense. I guess because also you have to keep in mind when I was a kid, I thought it was yeah. the Michelin like, Tire Man. What I I'm young it enough does, so that like as I was yeah. like when I was growing up, like Ghostbusters was already a thing. Yes. So I grew up just I think I, I knew the, the the concept of the mars of the like Stay Puft Marshmallow Man before I even knew like the Ghostbusters. Like I you right. I just knew that image. Yes. So I guess I just never took a moment Again, to think he, about he was probably a toy. Yeah, probably a toy you played with. Yeah, all right. You also have to remember the Stay Puft Marshmallow, the the tall one from the first one, was killing people. Like it was yes. like it was stepping on cars. Yeah, yeah but it's and, like, like it's like calling him that. Like it's not his fault. Like was he too big or was the world around him just too small? No, wasn't Stay it like seemed angry? Yeah, he, he seemed, seemed very angry. Well, I'd be angry too if people were shooting little people were shooting things at me. All right, yeah, but he, his face was like evil. Like it yeah, was like it was evil creepy. Stay puffed. Like like you know, that kind of like creeped me out. You know, what was even scarier was the painting in two. Remember the painting? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the painting is terrifying. That painting is terrifying. That was so that was super creepy. Scary. Yeah. that yeah. scared me. I love Ghostbusters too. I don't care anyone says but i love that movie all right we're going to uh move on because we have a lot to discuss with uh godzilla versus kong because it was released over this past weekend both in theaters and on hbo max before we get to our thoughts on the film i want to hear what you guys think about you know there's a lot of debate uh about what was going to come from this warner brothers hbo max move of them releasing uh day and date uh their movies both on hbo max and in theaters and is, does this mark the end of theaters as we know it? I feel like $48.5 million here domestically, uh, over a quarter of a billion worldwide. To me, that says if people want to see a movie badly enough, even if they have it in their home, they will venture out to the theaters to see it. Does this make you guys feel better about the whole marriage of streaming and theaters? 100%. Uh, you think so? Oh, no question. I don't know. I think there's too many facts. There's too many variables. I think, for one, people are urgent to get back to the theaters. I think once everyone can, once we're like, whether that's so, is gradual, this an anomaly? Well, here's the thing. I don't. I don't, I don't think, think that. I think that there's too many variables for us to have a clear takeaway. One, I think it's a great feeling. It. I think it's exciting news for all of us who have been worried about this. That's really encouraging. I think overall, this year and through the summer, as more and more. Um, theaters open up as more and more seats become available i think people just want to do anything i think the people who go and see three movies a year still really miss having not been able to see three movies in the last year and are probably going to go see two movies within you know the first month that they can and so the numbers are going to be i think we're going to see it maybe go up and then kind of even back out as people are just a little bit more urgent the second variable that i think is interesting is you mentioned the whole um 
HBO Max versus theatrical and day and date and is that a good idea or a bad idea, which is maybe not a discussion worth completely having because they've said next year they're going to have a larger window. They're going back, yeah. But I would be pressed to see what HBO or what Warner Brothers numbers look like in the late summer uh, when there are movies that are purely theatrical competing with Warner Brothers movies that are coming out on both. Because then you're going to see like, oh yeah, okay, 48 and a half million sounds great right now with no reference. Compared and to no competition. No competition. And compared to the pandemic thus far. Mm. But if we get to Top Gun, I, I don't know what movie uh, Warner Brothers has coming out around Top Gun, but let's say we get to Top Gun and Top Gun has a full wide release and everything's great and good. Um, and that does X amount of dollars. Yeah. But then you look at Warner Brothers and they I go, think they, oh, I, think, let's say, like, can, I think they have the Conjuring 3 around that yeah, time. Yeah, and so say they're consistently underperforming every other blockbuster by, you know, 25%, then we can start to say like, well, see... 25% of their audience is arguably staying at home and just mm-hmm. watching on HBO Max. So maybe it's yeah. not, you know, as wonderful as we think it is now. I think there's too many variables for us to decide that. And it'll so be I think a I, true test of what that's doing when there's competition and when it's more of a normal thing again. So Kevin, I, I, think think? It's, I think it's more clear cut than that. I think that's, I think those numbers, in my opinion, um, were everything that we needed to know where our business is headed. Um, I think from what I understand, and I could be wrong on this, Look at the domestic, look at the total of how much Godzilla King of Monsters made. And I believe this movie is about to pass that. And this is only a week or two in. Um, yeah. What are you talking about? Are you talking about worldwide? I believe so. Well, Just domestically, uh, King of Monsters made about $47 million. And uh, Godzilla vs. Kong made 49 in the first five days. But it's the first five days in the middle of a pandemic, uh, which is incredibly impressive. Yeah. Right. Uh, but so, also, Godzilla vs. Kong got infinitely better reviews. And King, King of Monsters was, was pretty savagely ripped apart, if I remember right. True, but Suicide Squad also made almost a billion. That movie was sure. ripped apart. I mean, like, it's, sometimes it, it's really based on really kind of the want to see it. I think, so if you go back and look at the pandemic specifically, Wonder Woman, I think it did, what, 16 uh, million in its first three days in theaters while also being on HBO Max. Tom and Jerry did 14 or so million first three days while also being on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's something to be said about the fact that people went to a theater to see it in that yeah. large amount of numbers. Um, and like the fact that that movie was available in your home, not even an extra subscription. You you just get the HBO Max subscription. You don't pay the $30 premium that Disney is going to uh, offer you for Black Widow. Um, but I, I, I think at the end of the day, it seems pretty clear cut to me. It seems like that people decided in that moment that they would rather be seeing it in a theater. Now, going to the competition part of it, yes, that's very interesting. Now, Godzilla vs. Kong, though, I think it's such a brand that it's hard to... It's hard to like really look at it like that because it's such a brand already that it already has amount of fans. Like but, okay, see, a- I, I would argue that... I would argue against that because, yes, it's a very recognizable brand, but I also think it's a brand that with each movie still has to convince people to go out. Because for every person that we know, I mean, th- think about your newsroom, Kevin. I, I had a, you know, a lot of people in my newsroom that were like, oh my God, yeah, King Kong, you know, Godzilla and King Kong. And then I also had a lot of people in my newsroom go, oh God, that sounds so stupid. So well, to me, it's yeah. not as built in as maybe like a Star Wars or a Marvel movie. Yeah. Like, okay, let, let, let's let's theoretically look at uh, Black Widow. Let's, let's think about it for a second. July, whatever night that movie Early comes July, out. yeah. Right, all right. So, I think 9th is right. Right. July 9th, the movie comes out. You have to pay for your Disney Plus subscription plus a $30 extra fee for Premiere Access. Will we see 
this large of a number and showing for Black Widow. Now, Black Widow is an interesting movie because it's not Avengers. It's not Endgame. It's not Infinity War. It's 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 a it's a spinoff character or, you know, Black Widow is obviously a huge character, of the Avengers, but it's a prequel character died in Endgame. Um, I wonder if that film will give us an actual view of what a Marvel movie could do during this time, because is Black Widow a large enough Marvel film? Is it is, it, is it on the scale of the Infinity War and the Endgame? I don't Maybe think I'm so. being optimistic, but I think the reason it pushed to July is because I think by July we're largely going to have a normal summer block or a normal I, summer I release schedule. I agree with yeah. that as well. Maybe just, that's optimistic. Doesn't it just before it we... It seems like that's the goal. But before, people will still have the option to watch Black Widow at home. Yeah, Black Widow is an interesting example because it is a four-quadrant family movie at the end of the day. There's yeah. massive Marvel fans, there's massive action movie fans, right. and there's all, all these different people get together to watch it. And I think that one thing that we learned over the pandemic is that parents really love getting just paying $30 and giving kids something to look at over and over again. And they love that they don't have to leave their house to do that. And you own it after that, right? It stays in your system after that, right? It stays on Disney Plus after you buy it. Like that's what happened with Mulan. Yeah, so so that's an interesting example where we might see a really firm um, sort of divide between like not as many kids. You know, I don't know that we would know this but it's like not as many they didn't sell as many children's tickets to black widow because it was available at home Hmm. but i think by then the people who want to go see a big black widow movie are going to go see it in theaters but i mean but gabe like like going back to what we were saying i i just feel like it it seems so clear-cut to me like like doesn't doesn't the 48.5 or whatever great dollars but like doesn't that like at the end of the day what does that tell you i mean like at the end of the day the movie was available in your home People went out to see it. Yeah. Like, like doesn't but again, that give it's you not a the same promise? It's not the same circumstance, is my mean? point. I, that by the by, late summer in the fall, if everything goes according to planned, people, we let's say More we're back choices. to normal, people will have the choice. They'll have a choice to do a million things, you know, by the sure. fall so you're, or so winter. So you're equating can, it to, like, people starving. Like, if you, if you withhold think, food I from someone and then they scarf down a burger, that might not be what they do if they had breakfast that day. But because they haven't eaten in a week... They're going to eat a lot yeah. more than they normally would. Yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm totally not saying that, that. Yeah, I think that's part. Of, that's why I say like I think it's hard to come with like a. This is. This but doesn't is exactly it just feel happen. before we get but into sort of our thoughts? Like regardless, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Great. Regardless of 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 how I feel about this movie, it made me unbelievably happy to see those box office numbers because think Huge. about where we were a year ago today. Uh, some of our the movies we were most looking forward to were, were slowly starting to be pushed back. At this point, I think we were starting to question if we were going to have a summer movie season. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it was sort of this weird kind of darkness that felt like was slowly creeping over us. And now it's starting to feel like the darkness is uh, receding. Mm-hmm. And, and that we're kind of like, like granted, yeah, this, this might be an anomaly in, in and of itself. But an anomaly is still a good sign that, like, we're moving in that direction yes. a little bit it's, you know it's 100 percent a good sign and i think i think i mentioned this um on our last show a couple weeks ago but if you look at what the people who invest money in the industry are doing they're investing money in theaters like mm-hmm. you look at alamo draft house opening up new locations and that's a great sign of where people whose job are to you know make a bet and do the research to make the bet they're putting their money down and they think that people theaters are going to come back in a big way and i think that this is a sure sign of that I just mean that as far as the day and date, um, is that a great idea? Can we still have theaters have this massive success? You know, are people 
where where do, where does the audience lie? Right. I think we can't figure that out from right. this one. Well, we have what we have Matrix in December, so Matrix Four will be a, a really cool indicator of like if if Godzilla was sort of the first big example of this working. Yeah. Let's see what the last big example. Dune says. is still December, right? I, I thought yeah. I think Dune's October and Matrix is December. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. I mean, uh, definitively, I'll, I'll, I, 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 I only see it as a good sign. I, yeah, I mean, any, I know, anytime a movie absolutely. does well is, is good for all of us. All right, but I do, I do want to touch on uh, a wide range of emotions and experiences uh, that we all had watching this movie. Kevin and I saw it uh, very <laughs> early, near the end of February, um, yeah. to to check it out in advance of the junket, um, and we both watched it at home within about. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, 30 minutes of each other. I think you started it before I yeah. did, and we were kind of touching base back and forth. Um, yeah. I, I think safe to say that neither of us were really big fans of it, and, and no. I was really shocked to see how positive the reviews were as they were coming safe. out. Since then, we've both given it a second shot. Gabe, you didn't need a second shot because you loved it through and through. Like a majority of people did, you loved it through and through the first time. And didn't Sean O'Connell say it was better than Inglorious Bastards? I do believe I could pull a quote from our text thread where Sean O'Connell said it was better than Inglorious Bastards. I think he was uh, memeing us. But he's uh, he's not here to defend himself, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Inglorious Bastards has its flaws, but you have your flaws, Gabe. Uh, No, you would agree that the Michael Myers bit is distracting. It is. That's kind of what I meant. Yeah, that's but that's like mean. that's like saying that that beautiful person over there has like a little beauty mole. Like it's just <laughs> yeah. a thing. It's just it's Mike something. Myers is the beauty it's mole part of its personality. Of yeah. The yeah. Mike Myers uh, distraction in Bastards is I would equate it to, or as Michael My- as Mike Myers would say, guacamole. <laughs> he says it. <laughs> <laughs> I would equate it to Tarantino showing up in Django. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's like okay. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. But Gabe, you loved it. Love is a strong word. Well, it has its I, issues. I can that pull. Thing, I can pull your awesome. Oh, it is awesome. It is. It is. It was so much fun. I got to go see it in a theater, and it was so. There's that excitement to it, you know, to get to see a big movie like this on a big screen, right? But so the thing that happened of why I say I think it was it was badass. One Kong is badass in the movie. Kong is. Both of them are great, but Kong was so cool to see in this movie. That's part of the movie. Um, such a great like action star role <laughs> for, for that guy. But uh, something that happened, the, the human characters, the human element of this movie is still the flaw. It's not much better than the one before this, I would say. And there are moments watching where I'm like, oh, eye roll and looking away. <laughs> and I'm like, this is really... like." There's one moment where... Um, uh, Brian Tyree Henry's character is like, I got this. And he pulls out a flash drive and they're fascinated by the flash drive. And like mm-hmm. Millie Bobby Brown grabs it and she's like inspecting the flash drive. And it's like, <laughs> guys, that's a flash drive. What he has on it is what's interesting. Why are we, there's some really bad moments like that. And to, to but, the point where I have to ask, cause I, I hate whenever people make well, the let me, argument. Let me finish that, okay. let me yeah, finish that yeah, thought okay. real quick. What happened and why I left going, fuck it. That was badass, And I'm, and I'm all in was after the third act, after much of the movie, but after the third act and the way that it ends, and we always talk about, I think we've had filmmakers talk about it and we discuss like those important moments of the beginning of the movie and where it leaves you is are really important for how like an audience is going to feel about the movie overall when it's done. Like Rogue One, for example, is a great example of that, where it leaves yeah. you on that high note with Vader. The high note that this movie leaves you on is so fucking high that when I was like driving home and I was trying to think like, what were those moments that I didn't like? I, 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 it took me a long time to try to recall what was wrong with it. 
And I was like, hey, if the movie can get so good in this one aspect, in this really fun action movie aspect, that, like, my brain just dismisses the bad, then, like, okay, well, then, yeah, that's all it needed to do. That's all it needed. Those could be better. It's not, I'm not saying this is a masterpiece. As far as action movies go, I think it's so much fun. And, and Wingard did an amazing job of sort of uh, humanizing, uh, you know, th- these animals and giving, like, having so much stake in King Kong. I didn't realize how much, after seeing, you know, however many iterations of King Kong, whether that was the baggage I brought into this and uh, the way he kind of builds the relationship with King Kong and the uh, human characters in the movie... I was rooting for the guy. Like it was, it was oh, really yeah. fun. It was really fun. I uh, mean, what, what, Kevin, you you you've rewatched it. Yeah, we both we both rewatched it because because yeah. I don't know about you, but like whenever I dislike a movie and it's universally loved, it does make me want to rewatch it because I I get sort of this thought of like, wait, what what, what, what was I, I in a weird yeah. headspace? Was I like you know? So so I always want to try to go back and, and just have the okay, like what 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 did I what are what are other people seeing? And sometimes yeah. that helps me. And sometimes I just double down in terms of how I felt. Here I double down. How did you feel in your rewatch? See, I, I went the opposite way. I, I, in a so I didn't like the film at all when I first saw it. Um, and I, and I still cannot get over the human characters. And I, and here's the thing. And I think Jake, you were about to say this point earlier. We're not sitting here trying to be those guys who are like, oh my god, an action movie has to have the best script ever, the best action, you know, the best human characters and dialogue. I'm not looking for that. But I do think that when you're spending this amount of money on a film that has incredibly cool action scenes, and then we cut away to the garbage that we cut away to, and I say garbage because I I mean that from a script perspective— the human storylines in this film are not interesting. Like, yeah. I, I, and I and there's so this, much of them. Like that, that's, so that's my problem. There is are that, so okay, many you of can them. you can okay, I'm not saying that the the, the the human stuff has to be good. I acknowledge that the human stuff's probably gonna suck. Then cut back on the human stuff. Yeah. Like we don't need like yeah. you can you're like, yeah, it's, if it's not good, just scale back. You know, you can't right. you can't tell me, oh, don't care about the human stuff of the movie, it doesn't matter, but have so much human stuff in the movie. Right. There was a great tight 90 minute movie somewhere yeah. in this two hour movie. Well, I was, I was so I was rewatching on the couch with Lauren and I looked over at Lauren and I said you know, this is not as bad as I remembered it being. And then they'll cut back to the Millie Bobby Brown, Bobby and Tyree. Yeah, story. Yes, I'm like, oh, this is oh, why yeah. I didn't like this. And yeah. like, and like, you know, the scars guard storyline, I think the scars guard, Rebecca Hall storyline is better than the Millie Bobby Brown storyline. I, I hated uh, all the hollow but, earth stuff. I thought the hollow earth stuff just looked so bad. I didn't like the hollow earth stuff, but it was better than the Millie Bobby Brown story. That yeah. the Millie Bobby Brown storyline. And I, and I do like, I like her a lot. I love her in, in stranger things. Uh, I love Brian Tyree Henry. Phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about phenomenal actors. Sure. Um, yeah. I just, every time they cut back to them, all I kept saying is, what is this doing for the story? What, that Their storyline, I couldn't tell you after seeing it twice what they were trying to do. I really couldn't tell you what they I were trying to you. do. I could tell you. I mean, you could tell me, but I mean, now the Hollow Earth stuff I didn't mind as much. Um, I kind of liked You that, thought it um, looked bad? I didn't think it looked, I, I thought the Hollow Earth stuff looked I, yeah, fun. I thought, I thought the Hollow thought Earth looked stuff good. looked, it just, oh, it just looked like a screen of special effects. Like it just, oh, it no, didn't it was really. a really cool shot when like Kong See, gets, but you saw it, you saw it at home. I think yeah. that's, I think, I think theater really would help that. Yeah. We, we discussed I mean, this off air yeah. about the whole 
theatrical versus home. Sure, and I yeah. think this movie is really going to benefit from getting sure, to see it. Sure, the but, but then that also brings up the argument of right. a good movie should be a good movie on its own. Uh, right. I, you know, like, it, like but, a, a good that, movie should be made better by a theater. A bad sure. movie cannot be made good by but a theater. But I would say specifically, as those bad elements start to build, things like, oh, this kind of looks like CGI, that starts to, those start to peel away when you're in mm-hmm. the theater. And there's it, there's just it's 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 mixed for a theater, you know, it's made yeah. for a theater. So I think that not that it's gonna you know completely one eighty your opinion. I think for those little nitpicks that start to build and make it really hard to enjoy, those start to fall away one by one. Is, like call, call him drinking that like green blood that looked a little CG, yeah. but uh, looked but, great uh, to me. Other yeah, like, than it looked, that, looked fine. But it was fine. Okay, but, but uh, I, I want to yeah. say I want to say let me say this. Let me say this. Uh, last thing I'll say. The cinematography on the fights were amazing. That's oh, those are great shots. Great, great, like, yeah. great like, screenshots. There's, there's this one shot they do. I'm trying to remember the the, the story point of it. Do we want to do we want to get into spoilers and give a warning and just discuss? I gotta, openly, there's, not, there's not really. really there's not really anything. I'm not gonna say anything spoiler. I'm just gonna talk about a okay. shot. All right, go ahead, um, go ahead. But there was a shot in the movie like where they're fighting each other where the camera flips. Yeah, completely, and then goes back to the fight. Um, I think one thing that I thought Adam Wingard did a really good job of in this film was putting you into the POV perspective of what that battle would be like. So, like, they're like as we fall back with the character as he's hit, or um, but the Kong element of it, in a weird way, at the end of the day, is the most interesting character in the film. He's the best emotionally. Yeah. Like that, I actually, I, I will say, on the second viewing, I liked. I liked the relationship between Kong and the sign, the girl doing sign language with him. Um, that to me, I thought was interesting. I, I liked that she could communicate with him. I like that, you know, I, I actually felt a little bad when she, like, she was trying to direct him to hollow earth, essentially your family might be there kind of thing. Um, and like the, the emotionally that worked for me. Um, but the film itself, I, I, I just can't, the high thing you're talking about is really interesting about leaving on a high. To me, that's what happened with Rogue One. I didn't love Rogue One enough in the first two acts, but when they got to that Vader scene and that fight in that third act, I left going, oh my God, that was amazing. Yeah. Then you go back and revisit it. I just didn't really necessarily care too much about the characters and the story in the first two acts, but the Vader scene is so iconic and top five Star Wars scenes of all time that you walk out, like Gabe said, and you go, and you forget what you didn't like prior. Um, in this situation, on my second viewing, the action definitely stood out more for me. Uh, it was, I, was, I was more invested in what they were doing. It was the cutaways to the humans. And, and again, it's, like, it's one of those weird things, and we're not trying to be like highbrow, you know, right. metaphorical no, it's, critics it's here. It's bad like really really yeah, bad I, I, i'm curious I, yeah. I'm cu- i understand the structure of the movie um i'm trying to see if i can do this without getting into spoilers i don't there think it's are, a big deal if you spoil is there anything really to well spoil so, so here there's just folks at home if you haven't seen this for some reason it came out last week if you haven't seen this uh skip ahead five or so minutes i'm just going to discuss okay. some of the some of the the way that the movie structured which will kind of spoil a thing that's kind of already known but just in case spoiler okay. warning there's kind of three three main pieces to the story, and it's kind of simple the way they set it up. You have Kong and his team, and his team of humans, and you right. have Godzilla and his team of humans, and then you have Mecha and his team of humans. And right. they kind of mirror every storyline with those humans, and it's just a three-piece kind of act uh, playing out. And I think what—I think the—I I, want to say mistake— 
I think the the choice that they made that I don't love was in like we're saying is investing too much time in those. And I wonder if that was a instinct or if that was sort of like a studio director or kind of where it came from, where there was a fear in relying on so much of the emotion to come from these CG characters mm. because it feels like they were trying to pull emotion with the humans and you didn't need that. Mm. You, yeah. you cared it enough about there. Godzilla. Yeah. Millie Bobby Brown's interest in the kind of the story before was enough to be interested in Godzilla and the relationship with the young girl and Kong uh, and then Kong himself yeah. are enough to, there was enough emotion coming off those characters and it felt like they were putting the humans there because like that they were like, we need more human elements here for people to relate to, even though we were already relating to Kong in such a great way. And I, and personally, I think the the villain aspect, still in spoilers, um, with Mechagodzilla, they tried to round out. I know this is a weird thing to say, but I think that they tried to round out those characters a little too much when I probably would have been fine with it just being like, it's the villain. I don't need to know much more. It can just be a yeah. villain yeah. and spend more time on these guys um, or just less time in general having to hear, you know, cringy backstory exposition stuff. Yeah. Um, so the structure of it is pretty simple, and I see why that, like, when you're building this, why that makes sense. But I think, like we're saying, it's just a little bit too much time, and I don't think they trusted how emotionally connected we were going to be to the monsters. Because I, to me, I, that was he was Kong in particular, but the monsters in general were were enough emotionally yeah. for me. And Kyle so Chandler, I, I, of course, because yeah. we love Kyle yes, Chandler. Is, is Kyle Chandler the only person who's ever been in two different King Kong movies? Well, Millie Bobby. Uh, no, he was in he was oh, in Peter oh, Jackson's oh, King Kong, saying. and then oh yeah, oh, I, didn't I guess. I, I also guess. where did his character go the whole movie? Like that was yeah. I someone mean, mentioned that with um uh, uh what's his name uh from Lost who had like a line, but he had uh, uh Lance Reddick. Also, I really thought Charles Dance oh, was yeah. gonna be Lance, Lance Reddick, right? Yeah. Lance Reddick, Lance Reddick has yeah. a has a uh, uh his name's in the opening credits, and he has one line in the yeah. movie, yeah. and he's in like two shots. I, here's the, but it's, here's but the, it's someone mentioned like yeah obviously like the obvious answer is probably he had a much bigger story yeah and then just got got cut oh just because like Matthew Fox is in one scene of uh, World War Z and on right. the yeah. rooftop but things and then get cut a whole, yeah yeah, yeah. alright final thoughts and then we're gonna move on to uh, this week in movies quick question so okay Kong Skull Island I think is a phenomenal film yes it's a, fun, right? a capital F film I think it's yeah. got so much subtext yeah. it's apocalypse so much with King Kong for it. it this has more subtext than. I realized it would. It's a little over. It's a little convoluted. But the um, uh, this is a random tangent. But you made me think of this. I was really confused with the the whole logistics of Hollow Earth. Why it had to be so complicated? Yeah. Um, and I I don't know if it, it totally paid off being that com- complicated. complicated. But I I think there was a metaphor being made with the dueling gravity, kind of being a metaphor for the dueling forces of Godzilla and Kong. And I I think that was kind of a metaphor they were going for. And I kind of, I enjoy that because a movie like this doesn't need to have it. I don't know that it was the sole purpose of it. I, I don't know where I land on that, but I, but Skull Island is fantastic yeah. through and through. To me, it's so Skull Island and then the rest of them. Yeah. Here's my thing. Okay, this is where I get frustrated. We're sitting here talking about this movie. This is not a this is not a new concept. Meaning human characters a King Kong. In, <laughs> well, you know, human characters in action films like this scale, mm-hmm. generally get a, a secondary um, importance. You know what I mean? They kind of they kind of cheeseball the emotional moments just to... Be, be, it, that's a template right. for... If, okay, like, let's, so like, the, the benchmark, I would say, is Jaws in terms of like sure. using human elements in a monster movie. 
totally. And but but the human characters in that movie yeah. are compelling. Alien, yeah, but the monster's not the monster's not as heavily featured in. True. Genesis. So well, here, all, all the, the more reason of, why the human elements needed to be good. Here's the point yeah. I'm making, yeah. though. Here's what I don't understand. You're sitting down in the writers' room. You're about to make a two hundred million dollar action film. Okay. Does somebody not raise their hand and say this is not good? Like this is not good writing. This is not interesting. Like there's got to be multi, many, many people sitting around on this film. I mean, dude, yeah. we've, we've been How? doing this. Is this is episode one hundred fifty nine? There are a lot of movies we've talked about where someone yeah. should have raised their hand it. in a board meeting. So, but, but, yeah. the, but the action is so good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's so cool. Like I, like I was like, it almost makes me more frustrated that this the human stories was terrible which like, okay I, which, which brings I me to more offended by it you know what i mean which, it's like which brings me to my to my overall final complaint about this movie which is what it, it is what i refer to as and i and i feel the same way about Endgame, even though i think Endgame is an infinitely better movie is that it's it's what i told you guys i refer to as a youtube movie and i say that in the sense that there are a lot of moments that i would happily if i'm bored at work one day pull up on YouTube and just watch 10 minutes of. I, I absolutely, in the coming years, will probably YouTube like the aircraft carrier scene or will YouTube like the Hong Kong fight sequence. And they're awesome and I'd love to watch them again. But they're a part of a movie that I have no interest in watching. So so that, and which is kind of how I feel about Endgame. Endgame is full of moments that I'll randomly have the urge to like randomly YouTube, you know, the portals moment. But I have no urge to sit down and watch Endgame again, as opposed to Infinity War or Skull Island, where I could sit down and watch them sure. from start to finish all the way through because it is a coherent, inherently good movie in and of itself. So, so you know, look, I, I, Godzilla vs. Kong, it's, it, it, it didn't work for me as a film. It worked for me as a handful of collection of moments that are, that are really cool, that are bogged down by some shockingly bad moments. One thing I'll give Adam Wingard credit for and then we'll move on is this. Um, Sometimes when you have films on this scale where characters are this large, I don't feel like the cinematography captures truly how big these Mm -hmm. things are. Um, It happens sometimes in like these action films. I'll never forget seeing del Toro's Pacific Rim for the first time, a film that I, you know, I like, I don't love the story, but I like that was one of the first times I ever saw where somebody genuinely captured the full weight of what this thing would look like if it was moving through a city, yeah. if it was moving through water. Um, and I think the camera angles that they chose in these scenes, the one thing I'll give Adam Wingard credit for is that is the, he did give me a concept and an idea of the scope mm-hmm. of what that would be like to fight. Now, this is another age-old argument that we get, that we get into with a lot of films, but... Sometimes when a movie is not great, this this feeling comes up more like it doesn't come up for me like Man of Steel, for example, but it comes up in this movie. They were killing thousands and thousands of people in that city like those. And, and, and it's one of those weird well, they, things. Where they like, cover it. They cover it by saying like they throw in a line because you have to where they're like, hey, we got your order. We're evacuating the city. And you're just supposed to believe like everyone got out because everyone's out. This those is a giant monkey in a radioactive lizard. Just assume that everyone got yeah. out. Yeah, cut to a shot of people running down a staircase yeah. like in the middle of the city. Yeah. And I'm just like, how many people just died? But I will say uh, one of the coolest shots in the film that I loved was when Godzilla had King Kong planted down and it was om- and they roar at each other. Uh, and then there's like that moment where they both 
have an understanding that they're both epic and then they kiss characters. You know what I mean? But uh, I, I liked the Godzilla respect to Kong in that moment, like his the facial me- yeah. expression. That was cool. Yeah, so. it's great. Yeah, they're great characters. And I and to echo that, I think the cinematography in this is fantastic yeah. because they he mixes. Um, jumping to a more human perspective and, and seeing the scale of them. But when we're in the action and when we're with those characters, we feel like we're just living at their scale. Yeah. You yeah. know, giant skyscrapers are just little trees <laughs> for yeah. him to jump around. Yeah. And, uh, and it's shot in a really great way where you feel like you're in a room with them fighting, even though it's a giant city. And I thought that was really great. Do you remember that shot in Pacific Rim when the, the, the hand... That's another movie I did not go- like Pacific Rim. Oh, it goes into the window yeah. of the of the building, and it stops yeah. at that like, and then it comes to get pulled back out. Yeah. Those those are very important. Scale is a very important thing when it comes to these movies. And Gabe yeah. Gabe makes a good point because when you're in the fight with them, you're right. Like you're, the building becomes just a little toy for him. Yeah. And like they do a good job of kind of reminding you of how large these guys are. So. Yeah. Yep. All right, we're gonna move on to uh, this week in movies. We're gonna move through this pretty quickly because uh, the two movies that we have that are hitting theaters and Netflix on Friday are two movies I don't think you guys have seen yet: Voyagers, which we had uh, director Neil Berger on, and uh, Thunder Force, which hits Netflix on Friday. And you guys haven't seen either of these, right? Yeah, you. It's, it's all you. Take it. All away. right, uh, I've seen both of them, so I'm just gonna blow through it really quickly. Um, I surprisingly enjoy Voyagers. It's uh, you know, look, I, I he might not like it nailed down to this sort of elevator pitch but it really is kind of a concept of um lord of the flies in space you know it's a group of kids who uh were raised to kind of be the go-between and uh what is supposed to be a very long journey between earth and the planet that is supposed to be our savior for humanity uh but the kids who were on the ship initially uh have to accept the fact that it's their grandchildren who will be inhabiting this world not them um, and they're sort of meant to be kept subdued, really kind of they're, they're made to sort of drink this liquid that kind of keeps down their libido a little bit. They start discovering that they're kind of being hindered a little bit and they stop drinking what they refer to as the blue and all of their teenage angst, sexuality and violence and everything come out. And then they all start becoming paranoid and then they all kind of start turning on each other. And it really is sort of a microcosm of, of just how crazy and wild society can get. Look, I'm not saying the movie's great. Um, it, to me, this would be a much higher recommendation if it were available on VOD than it would be if it were in theaters. Um, you know, if, if, if it were available to rent for $10, I'd be like, oh yeah, absolutely watch it this Friday night. It's not one I would automatically say, oh, absolutely rush out on a Friday night to go to the theater just to see it. So maybe hold off on that until it hits VOD. Uh, Thunder Force is, uh, the new superhero comedy, um, with Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer. It's from the, uh, from the, the director is Melissa McCarthy's husband, uh, ben Falcone, who, like, if you are familiar with their collaborations, you're pretty familiar with the style of, of, of film that you're going to get. Um, you know, Octavia and, and Melissa have known each other, I think, for 25 years. They have a lot of chemistry in and of itself together. I'd, I'd be lying if I said there weren't a couple of moments where I actually genuinely did laugh out loud. But it's, you know, it's not anything special. And despite the fact that it's going to be streaming on Netflix, all you got to do is literally press the play button. I would probably give you a list of 10 TV shows you should start before watching this. Um, so that's uh, those are the two are big your, movies. Do you have star ratings for either of them? or both? Voyagers, I would probably do uh, three and a half out of, uh, out of five, because I'd give it a seven. Um, and then Thunder Force, I would probably do two and a half out of five. Nice. So, all right, moving into Blend Game. 
which uh, a good one this week. We have hashtag Kate Winslet blend. Uh, Academy good Award winner week, Kate Winslet. As if they're ever bad. Oh, there have been some. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just, no, no, no. There have been some that uh, are easier than others. Yeah, I guess I was yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, plenty to choose from. My pick was fairly easy, but I'm going to start with Mr. McCarthy. Who did you pick or what did you pick for hashtag Kate Winslet blend? Uh, I mean, I feel like my pick is just obvious, but I also think it's a brilliant performance. I went with Titanic, and I know it's a, it's an easier choice. Uh, I feel like I know Jake's. Um, I'm assuming it starts with an E, but I'll, we'll get into that uh, shortly. Am I right or wrong on that? I'm no, with you. I'm I also chose. I also chose Titanic. Oh, I chose I Titanic you, as well. Oh, okay, okay. Well, then let's, let's, let's just all do this. Okay, let's all I, do this. I was thinking that Jake was going to go Eternal Sunshine. I do. I do it, love Eternal Sunshine, but, but I think Titan, Titanic is just. And yeah. also because there's this weird insurgence of people that love to hate Titanic, which you're, uh, you're not you're not cool for for not no. liking Titanic. Like Titanic is a brilliant film that is gorgeously mm-hmm. photographed that is held up for 25 years. Yeah, it's 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 still it still looks mention, better than most stuff that came out. It, it, yeah. The special effects in Titanic look better than the special effects in Kong versus Godzilla. Godzilla versus Kong. I. I don't know. I don't know. The, the ship sinking in that movie are pretty epic. <laughs> no, it looks... Uh, James Wilson, before, before, we, before, we, before we get deep in Titanic, uh, looking over her, filmo- her filmography... Um, <laughs> did you say one? The pun? Um, I will mention... What was, the, what was the, the, the year that she had those two great movies come out? Was it The Reader and... You're right, Revolutionary Road. Those two I want to revisit because they oh. feel like films that... I, was, I won't say I was too young when I saw them, but I was so young that I think I'd have a new appreciation. 2008. That was, um, I always associate the reader with screwing over the dark night. Yeah. yeah. I was in high school. So like, I think seeing those now, I might have a different, maybe, maybe that would break Titanic. Um, but the Titanic pick for me, again, it feels obvious, but like, I mean, but not just because we often talk about, about, okay. So the performance, the, not, not the, the movie itself, but yeah. Okay. Let's like her. She's she great. And like, Oscar nomination. She got an Oscar nomination for it. Fantastic. In it. Also, that is, her- that is one of those like roles. And you know, maybe I was at the right age, but like that's Kate Winslet for like much of my life. Mm-hmm. Kate Winslet was the Titanic. And that yeah. was, that was her representation to me. Yeah. Uh, cool. And that's just kind of like when that sticks in your head like that and someone becomes so iconic that way, um, it was an easy, easy choice for me. Her arc in that film is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting about Titanic is it is such a gigantic scale, obviously, from a, from a storytelling standpoint, special effects standpoint. You have a lot of characters. You're juggling a lot of different people. You're juggling the older Rose storyline, the younger Rose storyline, her whole family, Jack's storyline. You know, and one of the things that's interesting about that film, what I always really found interesting about that film was her trying to break away from her mom. That whole storyline of her mom trying to control her life uh, and then living in that, like, rich lifestyle. You know who's really good in that movie It plays a really nasty character is um, Billy Zane. Billy Zane. Oh, Billy Zane. Awesome. Really think, nasty is, character. Billy that guy Zane is. up to? I miss Billy Zane. Yeah. But that's a nasty character. Like, that dude is, like, you hate him. Yeah. Like, you, they do a good job of making you hate that character. Um, but I think what I found interesting about Kate Winslet's character is that not only does she change his life, but he changes her life in a very unique way. And I think what you gather from her emotionally while watching Titanic is that at the end of Titanic, like she would rather have made that decision 
to be in love with Jack and die, or or, or, or have him die and move on in her life. She doesn't die. I forgot she dies. Um, well, I mean, she but died, I, I guess she she dies emotionally i guess from a love perspective like she never i don't know if she ever loves again like she does with jack um uh okay. dicaprio's character I, 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 but, I, okay yeah. i'm sorry good well i'm no, no, I gonna go on the the, the door thing well no that's what, I, I was gonna live. say okay so so it, it does it does um emphasize that she did go on and marry someone and have a bunch of children and a bunch of grandchildren and it shows this right. whole life that she led and it, it always sort of made me wonder like imagine okay kevin imagine <laughs> like you're happily married Right. Imagine, like, like you and Lauren spent a, a glorious 60, 70 years together. Right. And, and you both die. And when you get to heaven, you find out that she's shacked up with this dude she spent three days on a boat with. <laughs> like, imagine, yeah. imagine Rose's husband gets to heaven and is like, what the hell? Like, you're hanging out with this guy. Yeah. You, were, you were with him for three days on a boat when you were 18, and that's what but you're hanging out in heaven with? They're in a happy relationship. They're in a yeah. happy relationship. But also... I think Jack. He was think, like a total. No, but you don't know. You don't know the man that she went on to marry. She had. She well, had a bunch of children and grandchildren. Oh, you, that guy. I thought you meant Billy Zane. No, not Billy like, Zane. Oh, like, no, I was because, like, wait. Because yeah. <laughs> assume... she's with her granddaughter. Like, yeah, and, like yeah, in yeah. the flash, like, in the flash four, in the in the modern day stuff. Right, but you would assume that Jack enabled her to have a better life, right? Outside of the outside of the constructs that she was that she was in. I think he, it's he died so she could live that sort of. Thing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Sure, I, I, think f- that- I feel bad for the unseen husband that is going to show up in heaven and see his wife hanging out with Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> True. It's a very innocent and sweet yeah. <laughs> interpretation like of the end of that My movie. Stay Puff Marshmallow emotions from earlier. <laughs> Which is not, apparently not a real thing. Like yeah. their love. Um, but no, yeah. she's great in the film. Um, and for a film of that scale to have a such a great performance throughout... Um, is just amazing. And at the end of the day, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet being on the front end of a boat with CGI or whatever it would be around them yeah. and the, doing the King of the World moment and making that believable and interesting. I know there's special effects there brought into it in the direction, but for two actors to commit to that moment and make it not cheesy, yeah. uh, I think there's a lot to be said about the, the, the level of performance. I mean, we already know DiCaprio is one of the greatest actors of all time. And that's just not, you know, that's not really an arguable thing. He's just brilliant. Kate Winslet is just as great. She's yeah, a phenomenal yeah. actor. Um, and I think that we really, Rose is the heart of the film. I mean, I, I would argue, I mean, she, yeah, I mean, yeah, her and, yeah. you know. The it, heart it, of the ocean? Yeah, but it, but I mean, like, they're like you just think about all the scenes and everything that she goes through in a matter of three hours, like the like the whole dancing scene down below, and yeah. like there's yeah. just so much emotion to what she brings to the character. She's living a dual life, right? You know, she has that really really different lifestyle, and then you and then you see. To me, what's great about her performance is that internal battle. It's all it's she's going through a battle, like she's yeah. battling her parents and, and family, I, and it's interesting. I think a part of the the fact of the story and both of their performances, I always forget that we're going to cut back to present day. Mm. Like mm. I, maybe it's just a matter of time, or like mm-hmm. how much we spent. But like I'm so in it that like when that part of the story ends, I'm like, oh wow, what a great movie! Yeah. And we cut back to the. Per- I'm like, like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. like twenty minutes left. This lady, I yeah. forgot about this lady. Yeah. All right. Uh, so the three of us picked Titanic. I don't know what Sean O'Connell picked. Gabe, do you know what Sean O'Connell picked? He hasn't told me yet, but right. he allegedly is sending in a clip. Which All right, so we're on faith, hashtag if it happens, going to toss to Sean's pick. And we book him. 
Hey guys, I hate that I can't be with you this week. I hope you guys are having a really great show. I'm sure you are killing it, and I'll be back with you guys next week. I love you and miss you very, very much. Uh, Gabe wanted me to record my pick for Kate Winslet Blend much, much harder than I thought it was going to be, uh, to be honest with you. And I, you know, looking over her incredible filmography, when I saw Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, I thought, oh, that's... That's gotta be the pick, right? Like it has to be the pick. And I I went back and forth on a couple other titles and tried really hard to convince myself that that was the pick because I adore that movie. But I can't not pick Titanic. Um, Titanic is incredible. It's an incredible accomplishment on on every level. Um, but I'm gonna attribute it to Kate Winslet Blend because of the uh, unbelievable arc that Rose DeWitt. Bucator goes on over the course of the film. It's it's as important uh, as the sinking of the historical ship. And I think that ultimately Cameron, uh, the technician, is more interested in the um, physical nature of sinking the boat and pulling off that. He, I'm not saying he's not invested in the relationship that's at the heart of the movie, but but the actors are the ones that pour their heart and soul into making Titanic work on a romantic and dramatic level. And, you know, DiCaprio gets to be cool as shit from start to finish, right? Like, he's Jack is Jack, and and he doesn't necessarily evolve uh, wholeheartedly. In fact, it's the whole point of, you know, that he just sort of goes with the flow and the world comes to him. But Rose has to go through uh, several significant changes that Kate Winslet sells at every step of the way, um, from being this uh, person of influence, this, uh, you know, the, the, the first time that we see her stepping out of the car, her, her hat, you know, and her, her pose uh, tells us everything we need to know about Rose. And she strips all that away and she's willing to sort of sacrifice it and become a regular person. All because she's fallen in love with this regular guy. And uh, and it's their story that I think make us care as much about Titanic as we do still uh, this many years later. It's it's a crime that, you know, Cameron I, I, Cameron had the highest grossing film of all time with Titanic for a long period of time. And it, I think that movie deserved it. And then it got replaced by Avatar, which was remarkable to me that Cameron got beat by Cameron. Uh, and it shows how amazing James Cameron is. But Titanic has a lot more heart to it uh, than Avatar does. Avatar is still a visual spectacle, and I think it's really creative. But I'll put money into um, an historic, historical uh, romance any given any given day over the likes of you know a, a repeat visit to Pandora, and and a lot of that is attributed to Kate Winslet. And I think Kate Winslet just really you know was perfect as Rose, and and really sold how uh, how great Titanic was. And her character arc is f fantastic, and she's an amazing actress. I'm not breaking any news here. So um, if, if I had to, you know, really double down and make my choice for Kate Winslet Blend, I have to go with Titanic. And so that's my pick. I don't know what the guys chose. Uh, hopefully we all went with something different. She's got a very diverse filmography, and uh, I can't wait to listen to the episode from start to finish and find out where the guys went, and also to find out what the blend game is for next week when I'm back with the show. So based on, based on that moment... We either just heard Sean's pick or we awkwardly paused the show for three seconds <laughs> because we didn't actually get a video. Uh, but you know who did pick a lot of stuff? Uh, audience members. We got a lot of audience picks this week, a lot of audience participation. Kimberly Block uh, says The Holiday. 
such a uh, relatable, down-to-earth character, and also her chemistry with Jack Black. Uh, I love that movie. She says, uh, "I, I, I, I Holiday's great. Holiday's so good. I, yeah. I just rewatched it this year." Uh, oh, how did I forget the holiday? So oh wait, is Kevin that... rethinking? Are you rethinking your pick? She's Dude, rating it. Hans Zimmer's score for that it's movie. It's not better than James Horner's Titanic score. It's not yeah, better than Titanic, true. but I love the holiday. Holiday is a Everyone's great in the holiday. Oh, yeah. how did I forget the holiday? Holiday's great. All right, Clint Tomerlin. Clint Tomerlin says Eternal yeah. Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Great film. Mm. Uh, but uh, he also says on behalf of 90s kids... Shout out to her and King Arthur's Court too, which I don't think I've seen. I've never seen it. I don't. I don't. I, I'm not. I feel yeah. left out. Uh, <laughs> Shall Booker <laughs> uh, says Revolutionary Road, um, great movie, and Mandavision. Uh, Carrie Vanderberg, Randy Buss, and many, 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 many others uh, joined us in picking Titanic. Uh, great picks. Thank you everyone for participating and playing along. Next week's game. A lot more potential selection than I initially thought, but the more I think about it, the more I realize we have to choose from. Reach out on Twitter using hashtag Oscar Isaac Blend. Let us, or you can let us know by emailing with uh, emailing realblend at cinemablend.com. So really, I mean, there's really only one answer for that, right? No, there's really not. Oscar Isaac has some great work. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. I love Oscar Isaac, but I feel like, again, no spoilers here. But did all three of our minds not go to the same movie? Honestly, uh, my mine went to a movie he hasn't even filmed yet, which is Metal Gear Solid, which I hope ends <laughs> yeah. up being his best. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I would argue that right Ooh. now. I won't say it, but I would argue right now that our minds all went to the same movie. I'm I'm between two, and one of them is one that I know you're thinking of, but I'm also leaning very heavily toward the other one as well. I just feel so like we'll talk about no it next week. And answer. We'll 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 uh, we'll talk we'll touch on it next week. Um, so of course, as always, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Share all of us with a friend, and then they can be our friends, and we could all be friends together. Um, oh, we have a premium episode, which uh, those drop every Monday. We're about to record it immediately after this. It's going to be a really cool one. We're doing a little game we love to play called This or That. Uh, the category is going to be action movies, where Gabe is going to present. Two different films, and we have to argue which one is the better one. Again, you can access uh, these premium episodes and, of course, all free episodes of Real Real, uh, Real Blend, um, but specifically Real Blend Premium. Let's try that again. It's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. Again, you can access uh, this specific Real Blend Premium episode and all past Real Blend Premium episodes at bit.ly slash Premium. Dot com And in this moment, Sean O'Connell, I have to give you credit because it wasn't until this moment that I realized how difficult <laughs> it is to say real blend premium. That is a very difficult thing yeah. to say. Yeah. If you'd like to follow and- us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, and at Sean underscore O'Connell, you know what, Gabe? Throw yours out there. You do not don't you don't get to be a part of the show and not give yourself a little a little uh, social yeah, I didn't media. Change look. that in the show notes. Uh, at Gabe Kobach, you, you can see my name below me if you're watching on YouTube to learn there how to is. spell that. If not, guess and miss. Till then, Kill Bill is one movie, and Hubie is one movie as well. Just like Kill Bill, right? I'm gonna say Tenet.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.